At Coco Talk, we'd like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Patrick Randolph, Eric Canales, Frodo NL, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Richard Lorbieski, Rob Inman, Steve Batson, Stephen Wagner, Terry Steen, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tin Limner, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS 80 Color Baseball. Intro is so nice, you gotta hear it twice. Talk, the only show in the world featuring David Ladd. It's time to grease your weasel and do whatever yo pleasel, because we're about to rock your 8-bit world. everybody for the second time welcome to coco talk episode 196 the greatest show on earth all right we're here everybody we're here and thank you for letting us know that there was a minor lack of sound in the introduction of the show today I switched the intro file, but did not switch the settings, so that was my bad. I will own it. we got a great show in store for you today, hopefully. We've got a great audience, definitely, and we've got a reasonably talented panel of uh, modernly interested, interesting people here to present for you today. Way to sell it, Steve. Um, let's go around the room and say hi there to everyone except Nick or Marotta. So let's start off with Alan Murphy. Hello. Alan, and thank you for being here. Hello, Mark Overholzer, our resident Apple guy. Thank you for being here. Hey there. And for those who don't know, Mark Overholzer is the primary go-to guy to post links out there in the live chat. So when there are news links or things to be discussed, we can thank Mr. Overholzer for doing that. We've got Paul T. Barton here today. Thank you, Paul, for being here. Yahoo. And we've got Paul's neighbor and a guy who's got a garage. Ron Delvo is here. Hello, Ron. Hello. We've got a guy who knows a thing about toggle switches from CocoMan.biz. It is Jason Reichert. Hello, Jason. 
Hello, hello. Just remember, you you forgot to do the audio on command. That was audio on. That's what it was. So audio was off from Oh Canada, the co-creator of the Nitrous Nine Project, the host of the Color Computer Games List website. He's Canadian. He's happy. He's L Curtis Boyle. And I'm also the one to blame if the news links are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I agreed I'd take the blame. We got a guy who gets things on eBay and likes to show them off. His name is Brian Weasler. Hello, all. And uh, Terry Stiggy, if you're out there listening to us, uh, hope you're doing well, buddy. Okay. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Rick Eulens here. Hey, Rick. How do? Our resident Atari guy is here, Sloopy Malibu. Greetings, gentlemen. He's our backup streamer, our backup engineer, and co-host, and he also helps out a lot of people throughout the week on Discord answering hardware questions and just being a great community sup order. We were talking about none other than Mark Boosley. Hello, Mark, and thank you for being here. We've got a guy with a screen that looks kind of odd to me right now, but we know him as the music man, Brian Schubring. Looks like he's got an off-the-air picture going on here. Hello, Brian. Hey, 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 how's everybody doing? There's no froggy in my voice today. Excellent. Well, we're glad to hear that. We have a guy from down under. He's Australian. He likes to say things like, Oh, crocky. He's a multi-trillionaire. He makes about a game a week. He's a big fan of the 6309 and ROM cartridges. We're talking about none other than Nicholas Morentes. Good eye, Nick. Hey, thank you very much. And, and I forgot to mention, he's a big proponent of the Nitrous 9 operating system, I was too. just going to add that myself. <laughs> We've got a guy whose name is so nice. We must say it thrice. We're talking about you know him, you love him. It's none other than... Nick Marotta. Nick Marotta, thank you for being here today. Oh, Steve, you didn't forget about me. Thank you so much. I uh, feel so honored. I, I, I'm Not only do I not forget about you, I'm constantly thinking about you, and that's not at all oh. creepy. Um, no. <laughs> 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 we got another guy. This guy is um, hes usually pretty excited about being here. We like to call this guy... David Ladd. And sometimes he says things like... Oh, I'm much happier breaking stuff... But he's usually pretty excited and enthusiastic about being here. David, how do you feel about being on the show today? Oh, I'm all excited. and I've had my caffeine pills, and I'm getting all energetic for the show. Is everybody ready? Oh. I'm ready. Oh, look at those Dr. Peppers. Oh, yes. Thanks. that was heavy let's get this train ride going and i'll be your host for the remainder of the show today i am stevie stroh best known for absolutely nothing and we've got all kinds of people in the live chat we've got retro ang we've got mark overholzer we've got eight bits in the basements we've got david lafanoose my friend from the florida retro clubs uh down in um my jammy mark overholzer rob inman and tjb chris a, a YouTube celebrity, a, a, a living legend is out here. Nick Marota, 8 Bits in the Basement, Kevin Holloway, David Craker, Jim Rye, Brian Weasler, David Ladd, speaking of YouTube celebrities, Canadian retro things, and Rob Inman and Kevin Holloway and Brian Weasler. James Jones is here. Nimble is here. AC's 8-Bit Zone is here. I tell you what, thank you guys for being here. We are honored to have you. 
It's part of our audience. Uh, I got nothing else to say. Good night, everybody. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show. Fe- All right. Hopefully that, that sound works. never That's gets it. old. Good night. Yeah, Good night, never everybody. Gets never, never gets old. old. Never gets old. <laughs> Welcome to show number 198. Yes. Yeah, so um, we are going to move into uh, absolutely uh, uh, Nick Marota's favorite part of the show. This is where we will talk about the high score challenge, the game on results, who played the game this week, um, what kind of scores those people got on playing those games, and any tips and tricks for the game and, and, other, and other fine things. But these segments are usually precluded. With a deepful, thoughtful production from Mr. Deep Thinker himself, Samuel Gimes. Let's see what Mr. Gimes has come up with this week, and then we will get right into the results. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. I raced the light cycles and I ran into the wall. Cuckoo-cron, <laughs> And now I'm steering a big panzer and they're looking for a brawl. Cuckoo-cron, <laughs> And now I'm surrounded by grip bugs, they want to take me down. Cuckoo-cron, <laughs> Couldn't kill the MCP, the colors spin around. Cuckoo-cron, cron it's no good at this game anymore. <laughs> I'm just bad, can't get any score. End of line. <laughs> oh. oh, I love the end of line. Just perfect. Samuel Gimes. I tell you what, he never ceases to amaze and entertain and keep us guessing. What what can he possibly do this week? How can he possibly keep the spirit alive and keep that trend going? Uh, good job. Thank you, Samuel Gimes, for that. Um, how about we now lead right into Nick Marota's favorite part of this, where his name is mentioned again. High Score Challenge. All right, and welcome to another week of results. This week we played Cron with 21 scores submitted. R.L. and Murphy, 1,560. David Ladd, 3,080. Louis, 3,370. Brian Weasler, 3,640. Coco Man, 4,185. Damon Beals, 4,290. Just Mike, 4,515. Me, 5,215. Frodo NL, 5,360. Catlord, 5,575. Jim Rye, 6,155. Tom C, 6,460. Mr. Dave, 7,210. Sloopy, 8,000. Graham W. Webke, 8,035. Canadian Retro Things, 8,395. 8 Bits in the Basement, 9,545. David Craker, 10,530. Al Curtis Boyle, 16,285. Tasman, 16,300. And the number one score this week belongs to Buck Owens, 22,340. Great score. 
Thank you to all this week's participants in another great week of gaming. Ooh, well, luckily for that, I do have something queued up whenever oh. Buck Owens does well. Good. Coco Talk salutes Buck Owens. All right. Nice. Buck oh, Owens. Buck Owens. Yeah. That was that was created at a time when he was pretty much the number one winner of every game every week. So we just had that queued up, assuming he was going to be the winner. And then we got into the whole Curtis Boyle. Well, I had about five minutes while I was cooking supper and just managed to get to squeeze out ten trillion points as I'm working on ease of use beta ninety seven. Uh, <laughs> that actually did happen this week. So thanks for bringing that up. We should advertise for uh, Nightmare Highway. Fuck off. Uh-huh. That offer has Nightmare expired. Highway. I would like to say that I am, uh, my Zoom background does have me in the Nightmare Highway uh, today in honor of that. It does. All right. So can you guys see my screen okay? We can. I see Nick Moroda on the screen. Um, are we trying to say anything? Do you like seeing and hearing your name at any by any chance? No, I just really think it's a cool title card. <laughs> it absolutely the, is. It's from the video that, that Rob made for us. Yeah. Is that the background oh. on your PC? All the time? <laughs> oh. Is that where you keep all your icons? Yeah. Roses are red, violets right, are blue. All right, so my name apparently is Narcissus, or whatever that guy's name was, uh, Crone uh, Narcissism. Uh, yeah, so let me just stare at this for a bit. Okay. Uh, okay. Just take oh. it in, everyone. <sighs> okay, now I'm ready to move on. So, you guys, it makes me sound Isn't he dreamy? Uh, yeah. So, um, all right. So, here's the score from back in the day. Uh, uh, 62,000, which seems pretty good, actually, because I thought it was a hard game. But, anyway, it seems probably reasonable. And there's the ad for Cron from Rainbow Magazine. Tanks, spiders, blocks, and cycles. Ooh, battle spiders. Blast your way through the descending blocks. So as you see, a 32K game sold for $26.95 or $29.95 on disc. And there's the software review. It was well-conceived, rates with the best. And actually, I saw that quote appear in, um, in an ad later on, too, which I don't have. But um, yeah. So this, the reviewer liked the game, thought it was uh, well well done. Um, and here is gameplay, again, provided to us by Canadian Retro Things, who featured the Coco Talk Game of the Week on his channel. Uh, so check out his channel for Coco content and other retro content. And uh, yeah, so I'll start off by saying I thought this game was very hard. I didn't like... The fact that, unlike in the arcade, you died when you touched the side of the uh, silo. I thought that was annoying as all get out. And, uh, but, but other than that, I thought it was fun. Uh, I didn't do very well, as you saw. I didn't crack the top ten, which is okay. I don't need to do that. But, uh, yeah, I thought it was a pretty decent game. And you still get your name in lights at the beginning of the segment, so you're okay yeah. getting into the Yeah, who does the guy look like? He doesn't look like any type of truck. looks like he's wearing a hat. He looks kind of like Mario. He looks a little Mario-ish. I I think it's Redneck Tron. Redneck Tron, yeah. I think he's some type of house painter. (laughs) I actually thought Canadian Retro Things did this uh, level better than I did. I I only shot up. I I wasn't very good at shooting at the 45-degree angle, which apparently is the uh, way to go on. Yeah, you need that to get good scores. 
Yeah, this this is the this is what I call the disco bowling alley level. That's pretty limited. Yeah, I don't know. Whenever I tried to get far enough to shoot forty five, I'd hit that dang side, so I just gave up and just uh, I was able to get past the first level of this. But what, what joystick were you using, Nick? I was using a Black Beauty. I just I just I don't know. I was able to, but when I'd go to the side to shoot forty five, I'd hit the wall. I'd, I'd go too far. You, and you do know about the rapid fire, right? Yes, yes. Okay. You shouldn't move when the rapid fire is on. Right. So, no, I just sucked at this game. It's not my game. <laughs> <laughs> this level I liked. I, I thought it was pretty easy because I don't know if in the arcade, but on this one, when the spiders were conjoined, if you shot one, it would get rid of both of them. I don't remember the arcade being that way. Hmm. But I, thought, I found it was very easy to clear all the spiders on this level. So this level I liked. And then uh, the tr- the cycle level was just uh, pretty much the same strategy as the arcade. Uh, you make the question mark. You may make like a backwards question mark, and the guy ends up dying. And you, this one was very unforgiving with walking in there too. Like if you touched yes. any part of that floor yep. or ceiling, you were a toast. Yes, I lost a couple lives. Now, what's different about this is you actually get to choose which one you want to do. Where in the arcade, you would just move to one of four quadrants, and you didn't know what was behind that. Uh, thing until you did it right oh, so this yeah. one this one you actually random. you could you could choose the game on purpose and not uh, by chance right in um, the arcade when you died it would then it would then yes, show yes. the icon for that level right. and you could choose to go back to it or try something but different. they were kind of yeah, masqueraded i forgot about that yeah. yeah i think even the other version electron uh which was the game i played for my tron uh clone as a kid which is a little bit easier than this one but electron same thing you can see what the levels were and then choose so i, I didn't really know about this one I, I never played this one as a kid so i i played electron so i chose this one because uh well it was request by eight bits in the basement thank you for the request and part of this for me too is to discover games i haven't played so i decided to go with the, right. this rather than electron now when the shots when, do elect- when the shots ricochet could you kill yourself with your own ricocheted yes. shot yes. so that now was that true in the arcade too i don't remember i can't remember i didn't play the arcade version that so. much okay the three um because the arcade had that little dial to move your gun. Now, this is interesting. I, me- I remember mentioning that there were different versions available throughout history. And yes. this one looks like the one that's in Espanol. Yes. Uh, and the initials. Yeah. Yes. I do have the English version kicking around on a floppy somewhere. I didn't have time to look for it. So I just oh. used the STC. And these are Ponto, the max- Pontos Max. Pontos Max. Who got the maximum points there? Pontos Max. El Pontos. See, this game is educational, too. It is. That's and- right, kids. <laughs> That's right, kid. This is uh, it, actually because it's Spanish. I believe the uh, the binary file was called El Cron, right? So E L K R O N, El Cron. Um, yeah, it was named after me. <laughs> Muy bueno. <laughs> so, so, Curtis, you did really well in this game. What are, what are your uh, what are your strategies for? Uh... Oh, well, first I'll just go <clears throat> a bit of my history playing it. I got this one actually before I got Electron back in the day, and it, this is another Buzzard Bait Lancer type thing. I I like the gameplay of Cron better. But the graphics are better in Electron. So it's one of those mixed, mixed bags. Oh, okay. Um, this one, the the part with the bricks where you're doing the, the moving bust out thing there, that you definitely need the angle thing. Because if you could destroy all the bricks before you go through, you get a thousand point bonus, which is the largest Ooh, bonus you can get in the game. Nice. And uh, on my high score, I think I managed to do that on both the first and second round. Um, so you basically you go up and you start shooting diagonally to the upper left 
and then you do straight left and you have to just duck your head every once in a while so you don't get hit by the bricks and you can clear the you know the four rows once you get to the third round was five rows of bricks i never was able to to complete that one um the light cycles on the third round especially gets pretty hard because you get three bunched up in the middle that come down at you then you get two way at the side so the question mark no longer quite works ah that's a bit difficult uh, so the, the, the strategy for that in the arcade was to draw a box by go but halfway up, go to the left, and then draw a big enough box where you could box yourself in and then just slowly spiral around. And that should give them themselves. time to kill themselves. Yeah, that was, the, that was the arcade strategy. So I'm not sure how well that would work in here. Yeah, I, like, like Nick, I didn't play the arcade game all that much mm. there because I, I, I found the controls a bit too awkward with that spinner dial. I never got good at that, so... Um, my easiest and favorite part is the tanks one. Uh, I, I noticed that most players from the videos I saw people playing it this week are, you know, going to avoid the tank and then try to sneak up behind them or something like that. I actually go straight for the first tank and just hang just around the corner. And as soon as he gets just past before he can turn around to shoot, you just shoot him and you just repeat that with all of them. And they, they never can even get a shot in. So the only time you die then is if you have two of them coming at you at two different directions at once. So you just try to avoid that situation. And you could just pick them off, and it was it was quite easy. Um, spiders, I was disappointed that you don't get a bonus for clearing all of them out because I did that, and, and yeah, no bonus at all that kind of sucks. Same. Um, so the only bonus I know of is, is as far as uh, that goes, is this level we're looking at right now with the bricks. So, what did you prefer? I know we didn't do Electron this week, but what did you prefer about the gameplay of this over Electron? Uh, just the pacing. It, it was a bit quicker. Like the light cycles are actually fast, like they were in the arcade, whereas in Electron, it's quite slow. Okay. Um, like I said, the graphics are coarser. I mean, they're not bad, but they're they're, they're definitely coarser. Electron was a bit more fine tuned. Um, sound effects wise, I, I, they're kind of equal on on you know how good the sound effects are, I guess. And I, like I said, part of it's a nostalgia because I did get this one first. I didn't get Electron until probably about six months after I got this one. So I found the cone a lot less annoying in Electron because you could touch the side and it didn't kill Yeah, me. and plus it actually <laughs> had the rainbow going across the cone. Yes, like the, yes. That, you know, blocky thing they got on here. Yeah. Like I said, the graphics in Electron, no, bar none, are, are, you know, every level, it looks better. <clears throat> it just, like, it was the same, like I said, to Lancer and Buzzard Bait, where the gameplay, to me, just yeah. felt more natural. Oh, that's fair. That's a fair comment. I think the spiders only multiply a finite number of times too, right? I don't know if that was true in the arcade, but I think they only I, well, on the third twice. level they multiply three times. I I didn't get past the uh, third round, so I don't know if they go up okay. before. Yeah. In the arcade, in the arcade, the screen could literally almost fill full of spiders if you weren't fast enough. That might have been a performance thing because I noticed when the, the graphics get a little bit laggy when there's uh, a lot of spiders. Mm-hmm. So Especially on round can... three, if you let them all divide first. The, the taking up multiple spiders at once that Nick mentioned, though that that's also a key thing. If you can aim it right, you can take out you can take out I think up to four at once if you're if you're lucky. I guess if they're touching each other, yeah, they they uh, if yeah. The collision detection kind of just gathers them all up into one fell swoop, and you can clear out a path pretty quick. Yeah. Very. Cool. It was a good game. So, I mean, it was it was his first commercial game that he did with Oregon Computing Systems. He did end up doing a second one. I remember the name of it, but he was a very small. His, his ads took like one eighth to one sixteenth of the page in Rainbow, maybe up to a quarter near the end of, of his run. Roger Smith, the guy that did it, <clears throat> and um, I mean Spectre, of course, had you know full page, multi page ads all the time. So I don't think this game got as much of a sales boost as uh, Spectral you know did for their version of Tron. Yeah. So Dave, uh, Dave of uh, Mr. Dave thought it was too many spiders. 
Especially and, uh, if they're Australian spiders. Those things are horrible. Oh, my gosh. Oh, James Jones is saying the language is Portuguese. Is that what he's saying? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Portuguese. So our, our apologies for being uh, insensitive culturally. It was Portuguese, just, not uh, Spanish. Uh, ignorant culturally. <laughs> being ignorant. ignorant. That's right. Yes. So yeah, that's that was our game. I don't know if there's a whole lot more to talk about. It uh, it, it it was a pretty good uh, pretty good translation. Uh, it was fun. Uh, my thing was it was just difficult. So I, I uh, so, but I played it every day. It was it was fun. I'll just now, did it. you find Electron difficult, Nick? Or Electron? Uh, no, Electron. I got a little. I, I think I did a little better on. Okay. Go ahead, Steve. So, I was, was going to add something to this that's not necessarily Coco related, but if you're a fan of Tron, like I was, and I think a lot of people at this time were, there is a great um, PC video game that came out around 2000, uh, which was called Tron 2.0, and this was celebrating the 20th anniversary of the movie Tron, and it was an unofficial sequel to the movie um, where you played the son of Alan Bradley, who was Tron in the original. So you're kind of like Tron's son, and you go through a similar story where you get sucked into the computer. And it is played out as like a first-person shooter. But the way they did the graphics, they really paid homage to how the game looked in the Uh 80s and gave it a little bit of an updated look because the timeline, it takes place 20 years later. Uh, There's some throwback scenes where you go into the mainframes and they kind of look kind of semi-monochromatic or like amber screen-ish and stuff like that. Um, You get to see the original tanks uh, from the game. You get to ride life cycles, so there's a light cycle thing. And it's a halfway decent story. So, um, And you can get that game now on, uh, I think, GOG.com for like 7 bucks, and it'll play on a modern PC. Uh, Fun fun game great continuation of the story i actually like this one as an unofficial sequel to the movie better than i like the official sequel to the movie but that was called tron legacy so um oh, yes. sid mead the designer of the original light cycle also came back for tron 2.0 yes he did and he he designed yeah, super the super the super light cycle yeah um so i have it i've actually streamed it a few times i don't know that i've actually finished it since i started streaming it a few times but it's uh and there's an unofficial patch you can get for it too. There's a website and a community for that that um, adds higher resolution modes and a few other things. You can turn on cheats if you want and stuff. But um, if you're a fan of Tron um, and it's got the same voice actors in it, there's does not have um, Jeff Bridges, but it has um, Bruce Boxleitner and um, uh, playing the voice of Tron and Alan Bradley and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool. It's it's a nice thing to have in your collection if you can get yourself a physical copy and you can definitely get a a digital copy that will play on a modern system. Oh, neat. Developers tools are out there, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was also a version of this um, for the Xbox, the original Xbox that was called Tron Killer App. That was the difference. It was a similar game. It was almost the same game, but the only difference was um, the Killer App one allowed online um, multiplayer like light cycle stuff that you can play against your friends and I don't think the PC version did originally but I think the patch might have added that capability um, David yes. Warner was not in it that's the guy who played Sark he was not in it there was there were different bad guys um, but it was still it was a good story 
Oh, good. Yeah. That's good. That's a good tip. Yeah. Yeah. And the original movie was, was groundbreaking. I was the first one to use extensive computer graphics. I think 18 minutes of actual, you know, just raw computer graphic footage, mm-hmm. which was created in the States and Japan. They were sending stuff over at 1200 baht, if you can believe it. Wow. <laughs> there was, there was an excellent article in 80 micro August, 1982 that had interviews with some of the people that actually were involved in the programming. It's a good, really good read. If you want to check it out on the internet archive. Okay. Great. All right, are we ready for the next game? The suspense is killing me, Nick Morona. <laughs> oh, Alrighty. yes. So, I think you guys will recognize this one pretty readily. The buzzard bait again. Oh, Androne. Androne. Androne, that's right. We're going to be doing Androne. I have a so, video of this on, on yes. this channel that we're on now, yes. So the idea is, I believe, are you, you're in a computer, right? And those are bugs? Yes, those are and, bugs. Uh, so the squares are just markers on the floor. They give you points, too. So they sort of give you a hint of where you've been before. you got your radar up there. You have to destroy the bugs. There are crosses, which are health. And you need to find the exit, which looks like that. Right. And the exit and will just, not reveal itself until you have uh, found and shot the power generator thingy. So, right. um, the, is that what the cross is? Is that the, the it kind of looks like the Tandy Lee yeah, the cross? Thing. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. So yep. when you shoot that, that will then reveal the exit on the map, and you've got to make your way to that. And it also gives you health, which is it gives you a little bit yeah. of health too. That's kind of yeah. your health gauge. The bad guys, they, it's kind of unfair where they appear on the screen right away before you have time to react. Like the enemy logic routine pops them in before the look for the joystick movement routine kicks in. So they're already on screen and firing at you before you even see where you can move. So you need an analog joystick for this. You need to be Johnny on the spot, quick draw McGraw to get these SOBs because they're evil. Now, if the hallway's long, sometimes you do get a bit of warning. You can see them yeah. off in the distance. But in the short hallways, yeah. And there's a really cool effect when they hit upon you. The screen kind of does The screen a, shakes, yeah. shakes, and the, there's a buzzing sound. So it's got pretty cool effects for the... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, the sideways smoker. traveling between levels, you know, through the tunnel elevator, whatever you want to call it there, this is pretty yeah. cool between levels, too. And you have and a compass in the right side, too. You can tell the direction you're facing. And it uses a combination of P-Mode 4 artifacting and then the P-Mode 3 uh, color sets 1 and 2. So it alternates between those uh, color sets. So. Right. And, and those things you see on the floor that kind of look like a road line separator, that's basically indicating a path you have not been on yet. So if you see dashes yeah. on the ground, that's an unexplored path. And once you explore a hallway, those will go away. So when you're, when you're backtracking, you'll know it because there's nothing on the floor. You'll need that because the, yeah. the, the halls are pretty twisty and dead ends and things like yeah. that. So those will be those will be handy. I will so, mention the author too, uh, Robert Arnstein. He uh, lived in Texas, not too far from um, Tandy, and he did quite a bit of programming for the Model One and Three f- at first, and then he did quite a bit of stuff for the Coco. And he did a pretty good variety of games. I mean, I think I'm not positive, but I think he's the guy who programmed Polaris. He for sure did Project Nebula. He for sure did Bedlam, Rakitu, and Pyramid that Stevie played recently on one of his streams and he did Android and a few others. So he's got a pretty wide variety of games of different genres. So, And, um, and we oh, think he also did Poltergeist. Poltergeist it yeah. has the same sound effects and the same screens like this, the inverse peach colored uh, status screen. So we're getting a hint from Rob Inman 
to say uh, playing saying play it. if you have a Coco three, you might want to play it next four because some Coco threes may have problems. So I have to admit I didn't try it in the Coco three. Mm. So oh, if, I, ha- I I just I have the ROM pack version of this. I just popped it in. It came right up. So okay, issues further on, but um, other from from uh, a from the usual place, I I didn't have any luck. So I I don't know. So capital if you have issues, then you might want to try it next four. There you go. And yeah. that is our game and an analog for the joystick. Analog yeah, that's joystick. an absolute necessity. Yes, analog joystick for precision screen positioning to pinpoint the bad guys. So that is our game of the week. I look forward to seeing what you guys do with this one. And thank you, Stevie, and thank you, guys, for all your submissions. And thank you, CRT, for the video. Absolutely. This is a, this is an original game too, if I remember correctly. I don't think this was a clone of anything. Yeah, not really. Else. Other yeah. other than the fact that it takes place in a maze, but lots of games did. Um, there are certain to me. There's certain things that when you combine a maze and dots and enemies chasing you. To me, I don't care what you call the game. I'm going to call it a Pac-Man-ish type game. Um, but other than that, like you wouldn't call Dungeons of Dagrath a Pac-Man game. It takes place basically in a maze, you know. Um, so there is a maze element, there is bad guy elements, but you're not eating food or chasing dots. You're trying to find, you're trying to find oh, an exit, right? Yeah, there's the cartridge. Yeah. We should yeah, give Ben VR. We should give Ben VR Drake's bonus points if he adapts this to his VR. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm excited. Yes. Ah, oh, that would be. Yeah, if he can cool. do analog aiming with a light gun or something, that would be awesome for it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Oh, um, how, how are we on our volume of game on news? Do we have a nice Not chunk? Not much. It's All right. So then, small. how about we will we'll wrap up the game on segment with with game related news from our foreign correspondent L Curtis Boyle, and uh, and then Here we'll take years. a break a break and uh, we'll get into some other news news. So why don't you go ahead and just take it away with game on news, L Curtis Boyle? Okay. That was good. That was catchy, yes. Okay, you guys are seeing this one? We are seeing it. Okay. So first up, uh, Jim Gary, who had a a rather rare off week last week where we didn't have anything from him out to put out, uh, put up a video of his version of Space War. And this is, uh, you know, the very first video game, well, the very first commercial video game from 1971. Uh, the very first, one of the very first games ever done, period, because it was done on the PDP back in 62, I believe it was. So he did a port of it to the MC-10. Now, unlike most of his gameplay videos where he just, you know, plays the game as a bit of a demo and shows it off, he actually played this one against his son because it's a two-player game and he actually has the audio commentary where they're talking to each other while playing it. So I won't play the whole thing, but I'll just play a little clip in the middle here. the hell's going on there well it's kind of flickery but it, the two ships one yellow one green is each opponent and you have to try oh, to shoot each other and okay. you get the star in the middle of gravity etc so. <laughs> it's good to have some father-son time like that there that you go boom think. gotcha Yeah, like I said, I won't play the whole thing but it was kind of interesting he's, he's, I've never seen him do a video of that viewpoint before he's actually playing against you know Anyone, never mind his own blood relative. Yeah, that's so. neat. That's neat. 
And actually, for those of you that have been taking pl- part in the uh, Game On Challenges and actually have kids and, and spouses that are playing along as well, if we do get into any two-player games, even if it's not, you know, if, even if the scores will be based on a single player, if you want to do some videos of two-player games and actually have the reactions like, you shot me and, you know, that kind of stuff, I think that'd be kind of cool to, Absolutely. to watch. Did you clear this with standards and practices that we could air that footage? <laughs> Hey, it's Next the up. Amigos Retro Gaming guys. Yes. Now, they don't have a new specific Coco video up here right now, but they did announce that starting at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, tomorrow, uh, they're going to be running a dual recording. They're going to be doing the Atari 1200XL show, which will interest Sloopy, I'm sure. And they'll also be doing a uh, Coco show, and they're going to be featuring Pegasus and the Phantom Riders. So the uh, the link that will be posted there is actually to their general page. So if you can go there, I'm not sure what order they're doing the shows in. I don't even know if they know at this point. Um, but if you guys want to show up there, especially you guys who are now watching us on Twitch, um, the Twitch chat on there, you guys can you know, do comment and you know maybe reviews, etc. Their Discord is actually asking for reviews of the Coco game. They've got a few from the regulars there. I haven't submitted mine yet. Uh, but if any of you want me to cross-post one of your reviews of Pegasus and the Phantom Riders sometime today, I can I can do that for you if you're not on their Discord already. Or, yeah, Discord. So look forward to that tomorrow. Good job, guys. This one's a little bit different than that. It's a, a hardware project by Steve Norton, and he did an Atari converter, and he said they cost too much, so he decided to mod one of the joysticks itself as opposed to making a little adapter board. Okay. And this, I've never seen an Atari joystick like this, so this is, must be some sort of clone stick or something, I'm guessing. Yeah, it actually looks cooler than the Atari Yeah, stick. it actually does. <laughs> two buttons. Hey, Curtis. Two. Yep. It is, it is the joystick for the Retron 77 uh, uh, game console. And what's that? I've never heard It's of kind one. of like a generic um, so hardware remake. emulation. Oh, yeah, okay. it's a remake of a, of a, of a Atari 2600. Okay, because I got quite a few of those you know, modern versions of the Atari 2600, so I probably haven't heard of that particular one. Anyway, there's the actual uh, mods themselves. Now, I can't remember if he mentioned if he was going to try to enable the second joystick button if you're running on a Coco 3, because the Coco 3, of course, does support that extra sixth pin. Whereas this is a dead, just a dead pin on the Coco One and Two, so theoretically this could work as a as a dual button joystick for the Coco Three games that you know don't need potentiometer based games. I thought that was kind of cool because most of the time you see these little adaptive boards that people make, and you don't see them usually modifying the joystick itself. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, although I think Rick Eulin did his uh, write up in the newsletter was about converting a, uh, a PC Junior joystick, right? And that would be done inside the joystick itself, right? Is that right, Rick? Right, that's analog. St- well, it's the craft joystick. It's the craft, it yeah, slightly yeah. differently. Yeah. Okay. Actually, there's another video related to that coming up in the regular news, so we'll, we'll go okay. with that. Okay. Okay. That's neat. Yeah. Now, when he says uh, that the adapters are expensive, I think that's kind of a relative term because I think a pair yes. of the Paradon ones are like twenty dollars or so, or twenty-five. So it's not terribly expensive, but if you know how to do it and you've got the parts and you're looking for something to do, then that's yeah. awesome. If you're on a COVID budget. Yeah, yeah. So um, plus, if you have the parts around, I mean, it looked pretty simple as far as parts go. So anybody who's into a lot of soldering in their own electronics projects probably would have all those parts even on hand. The nice part about using an adapter, if you do have one, though, is you haven't cannibalized the original stick, so that could that could have remained an Atari stick and then been a Coco stick on demand with an adapter. But yeah, but what would you need an Atari for? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. No offense. None taken. 
Okay, next up, uh, Sheldon McDonald. Uh, we showed off his uh, semi-graphics 8 engine that he's been working on for a new game he's doing. Uh, and he just got the scrolling working last week. So he did several updates this week. And I've got them kind of a little bit out of order, but, I mean, you can kind of see what's going on here. So the first video I'll show is he's got the tile mapping with screen scrolling in all the directions, but he's also got a layer of semi-graphics sprites on top of it now, which is new as of this week. Okay. Oh, yeah, look at that. He's moving around his little mouse pointer thingy, whatever that is. Okay. Yep. And pause that for one second. When, when when it gets like over a clear spot, like over the blue or something, just pause it for a second because I want I want to point out the thing about the semi graphics because these okay pause it right there, all right. So um, the, there's been some discussions on Facebook and we we have Nick Morenti's here. Nick Morenti's, by the way, is where anybody who's using semi graphics needs to get the licensing to do this now <laughs> since he owns the uh, mode. But um, <laughs> if you look at the pixels, the, thing, the, the, the topic has come up about semi-graphics. It's got nine colors. This would be great. Can we do this? Can we do this? And then you'll see some mock-up pictures where you'll see two different colors side by side. And the one limitation of semi-graphics, even though we have these cool modes where we can get more vertical resolution, you can't break the rule of not having but one color per cell so that one color is black and one other color so you can't have like red and blue right next to each other in the same cell you could have black and red in one cell and then blue and black in the other cell and they would look like they were side by side using two cells but you can't have two of the same colors in one cell if that makes any sense and you can kind of see some of that here in that little spritey thing he's got down there, right? Yeah, so. each, each cell is two pixels wide. So every yeah. you know, odd, even one, basically, you have to have black and a single color. And right. then the next cell over, you can switch the color. But Right, so while can... this is a cool mode with color, there are some unfortunate restrictions on how we can apply that color. Sorry if I cut you off there, Nick Marantes. <laughs> I, think, I think what you're looking at here, what you're saying, Stevie, is that you can have two colors in any two colors you want in, in a cell, as long as one of them is black. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the Ford, the Ford, you know, yeah. directive. Um, this is like the know. very, very smallest right. example of the Sinclair color clash that you could possibly ever have. Oh, yeah. It's just yeah. two yeah. pixels, right? Yeah, uh, but you can still do some pretty amazing stuff. In fact, if you want to go even a bit further, you can use, like, the, we showed on the Android screen, that other color set for the text. Well, you can see the Hello World up in the upper left corner there. Mm-hmm. Using the green and the really dark green, though you can't tell on the emulator. Right. <clears throat> the uh, the orange and the dark red that appear when you switch the color set is unique to the regular orange and the other red. So you actually it adds several more colors. Now those because those are text characters only give you the full width of a cell. So both pixels have to be the same color. You can't even put a black in. Right. But you right. can actually get up to eleven unique colors on the screen at once. Right. And that was employed both in Farfall when you see the flames in the top that you know you're gonna try not to hit the flames as you're being dragged up. And I think Simon Jonason did a fireplace demo with this too. Um that used those those eleven colors because you needed a few more shades of orange ish for fire, you know. So um, well, this is neat, though. I like this mode, especially like what what Nick Nick Marantes has done with this with uh, Rally SG and um, pipes. Pipes, yeah. It's we're seeing some neat things being done in this space, and it's good to see more. And, and I think um, Paul Shoemaker is working on some stuff in here with his maze, his three D maze thing. So it's good to see more um, people using this mode because I think it's been highly underutilized. Yeah, except in the Dragon Market, they actually did have a couple dozen yeah. games that used yeah, it. Yeah, but... it's true. 
But in this one, he seems yeah. to be placing like that cursor. He seems to be placing that he just clicks a button or something and then he drops it on. So you're like it's one of those strategy mapping board uh, game yeah. things. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Rick, you were saying something. Or Nick, I no. somebody's oh, I was just going to say, if you plan your um, graphics out, you can work around those color limitations. So, um, yeah, it can look really good, but it's uh, a bit of planning makes the programming of it so much easier. Yeah. Also, if you if you have your horizontal movement or whatever you're moving, move by two pixels at a time. You can keep the colors consistent without having to worry about yeah, trying to yeah. cross it over. So. Yeah, it does make it hard to do a smooth pixel-pixel scroll if it involves many colors. Um, one trick is to make sure that whatever color you use, you ha- always have a black outline around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that allows you to make it flow pixel-pixel, but you've got to have that black. Yeah. And oh. if you want it to be Coco 3 compatible, you can't use the text. Yeah, he did mention in the comments here that uh, he is planning on having a Coco One Two version and a Coco Three version. So the Coco Three is going to have a little mini font to draw on up in that top couple oh, of lines worth, neat. and he's going to leave the actual text mode for the Coco One and Two. Yeah. Also, the yeah. Coco One, the Coco Three with a Gimme X will draw the the text characters too. So anyway, I'll just let it play a bit longer here. It's only it's under a minute, and you can show some of the scrolling and stuff here too. So yeah, it's neat. Pretty smooth. Yeah, he got rid of most of the tearing that he had in, in the previous one, uh, which will be, actually he's got a previous one with some of the tearing still in, doing an inside view. And this is also using his uh, new editor oh, assembler. Yeah. What that actually is, it looks like it's a sort, because when he moves it up into the black space, you don't see some of that other stuff around it, right? So it looks better on a completely black background when he had it, like, up higher towards the top. Yeah, yeah. And then it looks like an actual separate sprite. Yeah. It's kind of hard to mask colors like this. And this here is the uh, sprite tile set he's using. Oh, wow. Uh, he said he's got it mostly done at this point. So you can see the top is a little character that seems to walk around, and then he's got some other animated things. And he's got a little picture on that 4 by 2 grid on the left, kind of showing what some of the shapes would look like, you know, scaled and next to each other. So that looks pretty cool. And this one's a little bit out of sequence here, but this is an earlier version <clears throat> of the engine, except in this time he's he's doing it, if you remember games on the dragon, like I think, what is it called, Dragon Quest or something, where it's kind of got that isometric looking from the top down into the room. So this is one where he's showing the inside of rooms using the same engine. This is before he started fixing some of the tearing, so you get a little bit of tearing there. Okay, across, yeah. But. Yeah, that's neat. At least it looks, That looks a lot more graphical and less, you know, like pixely choppy. Um that's neat. Yeah. So, yeah, it's coming along really well. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing what he comes up with the, the title, what the entire game is going to be. Because it looks like he has inside elements, outside elements, you know, scrolling all over the place, et cetera, too. So it looks pretty ambitious. We like ambition. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had some. Um, next up, and I'm going to massacre this name, I'm sure. Tor Eric Baki Lundi. Uh, on the Dragon Users Group put up this uh, adapter. We were talking about joystick adapters again here, too. But this is one of the smallest ones I think I've seen, except maybe Richard has, I think, a one about this small. But um, 
it's uh, actually off a GitHub project, so I think it's a public project for those who want to do it. So it basically okay. adapts the standard DB9 to the, the Cocoa and Dragon. And then he showed this here, which is kind of neat. It's a USB stick adapter for doing uh, transfers of tape files and stuff to the Dragon okay. with its own LED or LED oh, neat. LCD. Yeah. Well, that's actually the... Yeah, that's the uh, Dragon. Um, God, I can't remember the name of it offhand, but that's MMC. that's been out for two or three years now, and that's the <clears throat> it's uh, an actual floppy controller that has a GoTech built into it and a external floppy connector, so you can still hook up a real floppy drive up to it as well. Oh, with no multipack required. Well, it's because it's it's a real floppy controller, and the GoTech takes up one of the drive IDs. So, yeah, but I mean, most most solutions like the SDC, you plug that in, and then you have to have a multi pack to have a second slot for a disc controller. This way, you can have a real drive plus your USB stick based drives at once with no multi pack solution required at all. Yes. Well, yes. Yes. And what what is the knob for then? Is that is that a volume control for the cassette files or something? What is that? No, that's just files. Yeah, that's how you you rotate through the disk images that's on the flash drive. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, you don't do it through software on the Dragon side. That's right. Okay. I actually I think there's another story coming up that actually goes into a bit more detail on this that actually has a better picture of it too. So okay, show that as well. It's a neat device. And the last one here. Is Rob Retro's ran- Rob's Retro Rambles <clears throat> decided to play the uh, Quick Beam Shailen Master Plus, which is the Plus version where they tried to do multi-voice music at the same time as you're playing the game. Now he did actually get a little bit farther. He had to cheat. The game's incredibly hard from what he was describing. So he dies a lot, and he also goes through a couple of different color sets. Uh, but then he made it a two-player game, <clears throat> so basically you can just massacre the other player at your will's content because the other guy doesn't move because you just leave the joystick sit there. So I actually got to see the second level of this game for this first time ever, um, which is quite a bit different in gameplay than the first level. So I will skip ahead a little bit. Let's see a built-in ads in the game there. And there's multiple uh, different color sets, which I also had not seen before. <clears throat> there's the uh, basically it's not just swapping between modes, but the actual the colors of the characters and the backgrounds change. So you can have a blue, a red, a yellow, or a green background. You can have you know the monochrome background with green or with white. So you get that purple, you know, pal artifacting and stuff. But you can hear it trying to like force the music through while you're playing. Yeah. I'm not sure that's doing the game a service. No, I don't think it is in this case. Okay, that's a completely different color set there. Too choppy. Let's do that, I think. This must be PAL artifacting here because I see. That that purple is the PAL artifacting. Oh, look, stripy backgrounds. The yellow, I think, is meant to be white, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. it should it should be black and white. I mean, this should be like on RGB yeah. monitor. It would be black and white, but yeah, the the vertical uh, white, purple. Yeah. So I mean, this this part of the game is roughly based on what is it, Karate Champ in the arcade, where you had the two players going against okay. each other and doing fancy kicks and dives and stuff. Okay. So I thought that's what this was a clone of. Did they just tried to throw in some music and you know different color options? Not exactly Tekken, is it? But actually, when he goes a bit further in, and here's the inverse version, which looks Sorry, really horrible. Sue. That's... Logan attracts you from Manchester. I, I... 
I'm not doing. Oh, yeah. It's no karate cut either, huh? Joystick, aren't I? Advise him not to kill me. No, that's not the right joystick. This is the right joystick. Too many joysticks around here. Yeah, like the red background is interesting. It's different yeah, and it has quite green. a few options for these backgrounds too. Yeah. Bit of a mess as to who's right. I'm I trying to find. Line. Look at him! I There's that him. big skull that laughs at you when you die. That's neat. That's a nice touch. I like the referee there. And not just player two. Oh no! Oh, there we are. So I'll just skip ahead here. So this is where it gets to level two, which is actually a different karate game. Karate. Well uh, it's called Corridor of Death. Uh-huh. Corridor. Kung Fu of Master, Death. I think, in the arcade. Yes, 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 yes. We've heard the tune. Thank you. Oh yeah. Jumping and ducking. Yeah, which just he's becomes kind of like Run that. Dino Run. Yeah. Well, we'll just keep running, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Jump, turkey. Where's this energy 22, 21? Okay, I see. I was looking for Every the life bar. I, I mean, I have to give the programmers ambition for trying to do multi-voice music while doing, like, scrolling a good chunk of the screen at once. Yeah. It, 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 it really does distract from the game somewhat. It becomes very clicky sounding. Duck! Duck! Yep. And I'm deadied. That's neat looking, though. Yeah, it was ambitious. I have to give it that. I don't think it quite made it in the execution, but a good try. Uh, rattle cable, rattle cable, rattle this cable. Anyway, it's, it's got his normal, you know, great commentary. Yep. Now, I will pause. Oops, I think it just went past it. But on the credit screen, written by Dave Gibbons. Now, there is a f- rather famous Dave Gibbons comic book artist. In fact, he's the one who drew the original Watchmen as, as probably one of the more famous ones. But he was famous back in Britain even before that. He used to write for 2000 AD, like the Judge Dredd comics and stuff. Um, I, I recognized the name, but I thought that can't be the same guy. But one of the commenters on the YouTube video said that is the same guy that he did do video game design back before he got famous as a comic book artist. Wow! So that's that's. Uh, I mean, Watchmen has you know, been ranked one of the best comics of all time. So that's that's a pretty pretty cool that we have a dragon connection with that. If that's true, I I don't know way to verify that myself, but interesting. Yeah, so that was a bit of trivia. Anyway, that's it for the Game On News. That's it for the Game On News, everybody. All right, so what we'll do is we will um, we'll take a commercial break, and then we'll be back with some, uh, some news news. Thank you, Curtis, for bringing us that gaming news there. I'm trying to see what do we want to do here on our commercial break. Uh, you know what? I, Nick Morota likes this one. We're going to do this one just for you, Nick Morota. We'll be back with more Coco Talk, the greatest show on earth, after these words. We'll return after these messages. My fellow Americans, Australians, Canadians, Europeans, and all of you ands, I'm calling on all y'all. To help us make the world great again by visiting the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com where you can get yourself a coffee mug like this with a little cute cartoon character that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could also get yourself a coffee mug like this with a color computer 3 that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could get yourself 
uh, a deluxe travel mug like this with the Coco Talk logo on it. You might even be able to get yourself a DVD like this with over two hours of gameplay. Goodness, it is time for us to rise up and make the world great again by enjoying some quality retro merchandise and Coco nostalgia. So please visit 8bit256.com and let's make the world great for the color computer. Thank you very much. Good morning, Coco Land. This is Brian Schubring with Music Man here at the Coco Fest. Having fun fixing issues and making things roll and making lots of sound. Have a great day, guys. Baby, there's something I need to talk to you about. Remember when we first met? Everything was so easy and it felt like nothing could stop us. But now... Everything is such a struggle. And if I'm being honest, you're really starting to show your age. Can I get the check, please? Break up with 512K. Use 2 megabytes now with Nitros 9 Ease of Use Edition. Download EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. Some people have big plans after school. You know what Elliot's going to do? Jeff, too. Elliot's at work on a book report using Scripsit on Radio Shack's Color Computer 3. It hooks up to his TV. And Jeff's at his Radio Shack Color Computer 3 playing the newest football game. But wait, what's Elliot doing playing new Super Pitfall? And Jeff's having a blast with a new math tutor. You never know what you might try with more than 100 programs for fun and learning. Radio Shack's Color Computer 3 comes with everything you see here. Other items each sold separately. Only at Radio Shack. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. I remember the days of grade school when on the playground we would talk about the latest computer and console games. Until one day when a kid told the teacher he was having a blast with his new math tutor. After he got out of the hospital, he changed schools. Greetings, YouTubers. Atari Leaf here, and you're listening to Coco Talk. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Cardinal. Muppet News Flash. All right, everybody, get ready for news with L. Curtis Boyle, our foreign correspondent. Hey, first up, is uh, Jim Brain joined the call yet? Jim Brain is here, the president of the Glenside Color <clears throat> Computer Club. <clears throat> the first I couple of stories here are related to hardware developments from him, so I, I thought we might as well get the expert. If anybody has any questions, they can go directly to the source. So, version 2 of the Dual 6X09 Switcher PCB is now supports various MMU DAT solutions on the market. Um, now, from my understanding, version 1 didn't work with some of the newer 2 meg upgrades. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. <clears throat> it uh, design was very, very simple and works fine for CPUs, but um, the DAT boards require a few extra things to be available. Okay, and just so people know what this prod product is, it's basically so you can have two different CPUs, say a 639 and a 609, say you're a software developer and you want to be able to test on either CPU, <clears throat> you can just, you know, power the machine down and flip a switch or something to switch between which one's active? 
That's true. Um, and the design's not new. I think somebody mentioned that um, <clears throat> one of the magazines back in the day um, kind of offered a design for this that folks could um, could do on a you know perf board. But um, essentially, there is a so that, uh, folks need to understand the the sixty eight oh nine was was designed to be used in a multi-processor system. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be, but but Motorola uh, created the ability for it to be running in a multi-processor, so a dual or, or whatever processor system. Um, so one of the ways that it accomplished that is it has, a, um, it has a pin on the chip that says, if this pin is high, um, then please electrically remove a lot of the uh, the CPU pins from the bus, so that it's it's as if the the CPU disappears off of the address and data buses and whatnot. And then the idea is is that by doing that, then you can transfer control to another um, to another CPU to do some work using the same memory or the same I/O or whatever. And then when that thing is when that CPU is done, <clears throat> then you can bring this line back low again, and the um, you know, and the CPU starts back up again. It's called the tri-state control line or the TSC line. So this particular design, just uh, you put a in in this case, uh, there's a jumper, right? You know, right on the board um, that you can use to um, ba- basically bring that line low or high, per you know, for the for the course of of using the the computer. So you you can put a switch on it. You switch it one side. You turn the computer on. You have the left CPU, and you switch the you switch the computer off. You flip the switch to the other side. You turn it back on. You have whatever's in the right hand side, you know, right hand CPU. Um, and like you said, the idea is that the um, the 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 two chips you can have a 6809 in one side and a, and an Atachi 6309 in another, and then you can you know run your application, make sure it works on the 6809, and then go ahead turn the computer off, flip the switch, turn it back on. And try the test again with a 6309 and make sure it worked correctly. Yeah, and we actually have had a few programs that were, you know, either badly written or badly patched using instructions, you know, illegal instructions as timers, for example, <clears throat> that on a 6309 are legitimate instructions. So, of course, it does something completely different. Um, we hit that with, uh, I think, Grabber was one, Bugs 2 is another one I had to fix. Like, there's been a few. So, it, it's definitely useful for developers, especially to make sure that the software is running properly on each each chip and without. I mean, six or nine is backwards compatible, and that's one of the problems of trying to test it because you might have a six or nine instruction thrown in, but they'll still run in six eight oh nine mode. So your program will work fine if you use some instructions like that. Whereas if you try it on a real six eight oh nine, of course, it'll do something completely different or crash or whatever. So correct, correct. Now th- this is still backwards compatible with the original Disto one and two mig. RAM upgrade boards that didn't have this extra stuff. I don't. I don't know. I have one of those. I, I actually. I, I forgot to try that one. I don't. I don't know if it's. Um. It. It probably is. I, I would say it probably is. So the reason that this. The reason that the original board has a challenge. Um. With. Uh, with the newer. Uh. Address translation. You know. MMU boards that are. Uh. That are available. Is that the. Um. The, the newer boards try to allow you to read back the MMU registers. So if you remember correctly, the idea of a two meg board is to enable the additional two bits, the higher order bits on the memory management unit. Well, the only way that that is, if, I mean, you can, you can poke them into the space and that's what the disto board did, which is mm-hmm. fine. Um, <clears throat> that doesn't require that you um, really interact with the, 
you know, you don't have to be in the middle. I guess you don't have to be a man in the middle type of thing in order to do that. Um, so that worked fine. But in the newer MMU boards, the idea is to enable those bits to be read back. So if you set them to, you know, a, sp- a certain value, when you read the MMU register, the ideally you'd want to read the six main address bits from, or the six, yeah, the six MMU bits from the GIMI, which is where they're normally stored. And you want to read the additional two from the, the address translation, you know, the MMU board that's installed in the computer. Um, that requires that you be in the middle. So you have to, you have to put your circuitry in between the CPU and the, and the, um, and the data bus in order to take over those two bits to say, yeah, I know the gimme's telling you they're both ones, but don't worry about the gimme. I'm going to give you a real number there. Um, so when you do that, the key is, is there's some, um, there's some additional things that you have to do. Um, namely that there are certain situations like with tri-state control, um, namely like halt conditions and stuff like that, where if the system is in one of those conditions, like it's doing a, uh, a, a disk drive, you know, transfers or whatever, um, that you have to uh, take the the you have to you have to get yourself off the bus too because the CPU was doing it, but now the CPU is not connected to the memory bus, and so you have to do it. Um, so that reading of the bits back is what causes the challenge because in order to do that. Um, the DAT or the MMU boards need to have access to some special um, signals. And I've got a picture here of the signals that, um, uh, that you know, normally... Actually, the, let me stop sharing. I'll let you share oh, that so people can see it. Just a second. Okay, that's fine. Um, yeah, so I'll let him because it's kind of hard to read here. But this is a COCO3 schematic right here. And so um, uh, you see right here in the middle, there's a couple uh, uh, pins that are just not connected to anything, right? And so on the on the Coco, those pins just are not, they're, they're, they don't have any, um, any connection at all. But one of those pins is needed, and it's called the BA line. So it's right here, I think. Um, oh, yeah, left side of the 679 there, just above the middle. That's right. Um, so <clears throat> the bit bus available line, and, and essentially that's a, it says, okay, I'm the CPU and, I'm thinking that I'm not supposed to be on the bus. And so that's the line you have to monitor. But in the simple version of the, of the dual CPU board, those, those pins just aren't connected to anything because they're not needed on the Coco normally, but they're needed for the MMU board. So that's why this version two of, of, the, of the dual adapter was necessary because you have to have a way to route those signals um, to, the, um, to, the, to the various uh, CPUs. Uh, so that, or so you know, so that you can, um, you, you know, you can send that information on to the DAT board, and um, or the MMU board, whatever it is it's called. So the key is those those pins. When I was talking earlier about this tri-state control functionality, um, this tri-state control functionality that's up at the top on the left-hand side, um, it does take a lot of the lot of the I/O of the CPU off the bus, but it does not take those five lines, busy, LIC, BS, BA, and AVMA. It, it doesn't really matter what the pins mean. It just means those pins are always active. And you can have two active output pins uh, going from both CPUs at the same time uh, to the DAT boards. It'll just confuse them. Okay. I mean, the whole reason for having this uh, reading the two bits back was for some backwards compatibility because a lot of, the, uh, like I said, the Sierra games originally were written 
Correct. in such a way that they would you would directly write out stuff to the MMU register, then try to read it back at a later part or a different program as part of it. And mm-hmm. it would just read the lower six bits properly, which on a 512K board was fine. Mm-hmm. But it would read back either garbage or just in completely wrong bits on the other one. So all of a sudden it would say, I saved the screen over here, and I'm going to try to read back where I put the screen later on. And it would pick some completely different spot because those two bits are missing. Right. So this solves that problem now on the on the dual CPU. It does. Okay. It does indeed. Okay. I'll take over the sharing again. Questions? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, can you have more than one CPU on a Coco? I mean, more than, you know, the two that you have in concept, like. Yeah. Yeah. The, right. You could, you could, you could um, have, you know, like on the picture on the screen shows right now, you could have another, you know, another CPU, another two CPUs, another C- it, it The only key is you can only have with this design, you can only have one CPU Active. running. At the, at one time, so right. it doesn't allow you to use both CPUs at the same time. It's just a selection. The reason I chose two is because typically the main use case for something like this is I want to test my application under the 6809, and then I want to change and I want to test the application under the Hitachi 6309. So it seemed like two was an appropriate number to support. Now, now you do have a product you've you've shown at Fest here that actually has two CPUs with their own RAM in between them. That actually is external and can be ran, I guess, sort of simultaneously with the main Coco one. Is that? That is that is correct. Uh, Coco uh, coprocessor, Coco copro. Um, that is a. It's got two sixty three oh nine CPUs on board, each with five hundred twelve k of RAM, um, and they can operate together, um, and they operate. Um, on the same, they operate at the same time as the as the uh, 6809 or 6309 in the color computer itself. But but that's done a little bit differently, and it's a cartridge, so it's not like something you install inside the, the color computer. If there was, you know, if there was value of installing a second a processor inside the color computer, you know, that's possible as well. Now that most people have put their CPU in a socket for the various two meg expansion options. Um, I, I could take a look at that. I just, um, it, it, the key with those kind of things with having more CPU running at one time is, um, as software to take yeah, advantage exactly. of it. I don't know. You, you've been bugging me and Bill about it. <laughs> I think I'll <laughs> that at some point. <laughs> I, got, I got more. Good, Ron? Um, will, will, uh, that interfere with the Gimme X? Uh, this particular board, I don't believe will interfere because there's anything that goes lower than the CPU. Um, so I think you're okay on the gimme, um, but I don't have any gimme X. I, I don't have a gimme X, so I don't, um, I can't tell you absolutely for sure, but, um, I, somebody I'm sure does and can get one of these boards and try it out. Props on installing your buffer inside the socket of the CPU. That's, that's cool. Yep. That's, uh, small, I, I'm, all, I'm always trying for minimum space. Yeah, and especially with something like the Gimme X, where it's a satellite board that goes in the Gimme socket, basically, and it's you know much wider than the Gimme itself, of course. So Correct. if that's low enough to keep it at the same profile the CPU was, then it should go underneath and fit just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I thought of when I saw that picture was it looks like a real-time clock. <laughs> yeah, that's cute. Well, yeah, it kind of does, sitting in the middle. Yeah, you've got two sockets there, and you've got the chip underneath there. Could you put a real-time clock under the other chip, and then we could actually you know, have both at <laughs> once? <laughs> I smell feature creep. You guys, and your real-time <laughs> clock fetish. 
<laughs> and then related to this, you've got um, another updated version here too. You call it the Dual Six X O Nine Coco Two Edition. Yeah. Um, now this is the passive version, so I believe this does not have the extra circuit because there's no MMU in the in the Coco One and Two. Correct. So is this just a redesign for how it fits in there? So it's more compatible with different motherboards because a lot of the motherboards between the Coco One and Two changed. You know the organization of chips, and they started facing different directions and moved around. Some are socketed, some aren't, and and of course uh, the Coco VGA is another. I'd like to give me access. It's like a satellite board, and I know there were some issues on fitting that. So does that solve the problem for all of that here for the Coco One and Two? So I don't. I mean, all is a pretty expansive term. Um, okay, I'll say most. Yeah, Ron. <laughs> uh, the the picture on the left hand side, you can just see on the far left edge of this of the screen, there's a blue board, and that blue board is. Um, if I remember correctly, that's the Coco VGA and Ron. That's, this is a picture from Ron Klein. And so that is a picture of the Coco v- VGA in the, in the 6847 uh, socket. Um, and that was the problem with the initial board is that it was shifted too far to the right. And so it, it, it overlapped the Coco VGA. So Ron asked me if it could be moved um, a little bit further. The, the, the board itself moved to the, I probably said that wrong. It's it, it pushes too far to the left, and so he wanted it to be pushed a little bit farther to the right, um, so that it would it and the Coco VGA boards would fit together, you know, nicer. And I can change this design to support the MMUs. Currently, there's no MMU um, available for the Coco One and Two, so it's it's probably more academic than anything. Um, yeah, but, there are MMUs, but I think most of them are external ones, like the Moo board and. Correct. Yeah, right. Yes. They, they, so they wouldn't fit in the CPU socket. Is, um, is that just a piece of paper? It is. It is. <laughs> I don't I don't have a Coco VGA. And so I laid out the board, which is something everybody can do. So the pictures are online on the GitHub repository. And so if you're wondering if it'll fit, you know, I would just do what Ron did. I would take the PDF, print it out on your printer, trim it, and then lay it. As you see here, he laid it right on top of his CPU and this was like this was like the third one that I he printed out and trimmed up, you know, just to get it right. And then if you if it doesn't work, then obviously you know you could let me know. And I mean, the boards themselves are not that difficult to lay out because there's not much to the design. So if it's something that you're interested in and you want to, you know, you want to tweak the design so it'll fit in a you know E or a C or whatever board, and it doesn't, you know, this design doesn't fit then you know that's fine we can probably make those changes ron was ron was um a little um you know as with everybody encouraged people to be a little bit uh, persistent in asking me if i could make this change so i did is the yeah. is the is the cpu that sensitive you could could you uh like stack a couple sockets if you wanted to get some height out of it or is it best to keep the cpu as close to the system board as possible uh, I think the answer to both those questions is yes, right? It's always best to put as few, you know, uh, any kind of socket or any kind of connection is going to create extra capacitance and extra resistance. And so it's probably best to not do that. But the one megahertz signal and two megahertz signal, um, uh, you know, timelines that are used in the cocoa are pretty forgiving. And so I know when I'm doing testing, um, it's not uncommon if I need to, to to clear other things to put like you know four or five sockets together to get the CPU or you know or one of the other chips up up above the board so that I can work on it easier. And that doesn't seem to be a real problem. I I know a lot of times back in the day 
um, the manufacturers would send a socket as a basically as a as a as a riser. You know, you so hey, if you need a little extra space because there's a capacitor or whatever, here's a socket you can put in the socket, and then you can put our thing into the second socket. You know, just basically to to get a little bit of height. So it's it, even back in the day that was a pretty common approach to get some additional distance away from the board. I must say, I can definitely see some possibilities of marrying a 6 through 9, especially with a dual one where you can test it with a Coco VGA. I mean, writing some of the graphics routines, because that's a bit more complicated to set up for, because of the way he has to kind of ghost it on, um, you know, just change modes and change palettes and stuff. You have to reserve some special RAM for it, et cetera. That actually, with the 6 through 9, being able to do some block memory moves and stuff, you could do some pretty interesting stuff with that. Mm-hmm. One and two. Fair enough. So the 6502 doesn't do this stuff, does it? The 6502 does not tri-state the bus, and so that's, you know, that's... Um, yeah, it wasn't it, designed for a multi-CPU system. It, it, it's not, it, not possible, yeah. then. Well, it, you know... <laughs> Anything's possible it, when making up circuits. Yeah, I was going to say, it, 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 it's definitely possible. You just... Um, so if you go back to the picture of the previous, whatever that previous one was that had the little chip in the middle. Um, sorry, the, the previous story. So that little chip that oh, you I remember. Up a window, sorry. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, <laughs> so you know, Rick was talking about the little chip that was in the middle, and that chip is a, a, a buffer. So it's it's you just need to put more of those on the board, um, or you need to use one of the specialized um, sixty five hundred two variants that allowed the chip to be tri stated. The new sixty five hundred two from Western Design that's that's in the market today can tri state the bus. So. The old ones can't, the new ones can. Um, just depends on, you know, every CPU has um, various idiosyncrasies around get yeah it, around getting on and off the bus. Um, this one, you know, the the 6809 just comes with this functionality kind of out of the box, so it just makes it a little bit easier for this kind of design to be created. Yeah, and I do believe like gimmicks and some of the other bigger, you know, bigger iron 6809 systems back in the day actually did use that. Mm-hmm. And the TC9 with the K bus was supposed to have, you could have multiple TC9s and then also a master six to 8,000. They all talk to each other and yep. it would send signals back and forth. So back when I went to school, we had tokens to go on the bus. That's cute. Well, they, <laughs> they think of it the same way here, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> all right. What's next? Uh, one more for Jim Brain here. Jim Brain. Ding, 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 ding. I was going to say, I didn't know about a third one. Okay. Jim Brain for the win. Well, the Coco NIC card, which is your networking card, so I thought you could give some details on what exactly that is and what exactly it does. But um, Ron Klein posted a, a link to this into our Discord that Brett Gordon, who is the author of the uh, Coco version of Fusix, actually has it running now using your hardware. Okay. And actually does a little demo video we'll show in a little bit here that actually you know does like telnetting and, you know, checking for, you know, pings and stuff like that, actually using the card. So what exactly does this card do? Does it have, like, buffers and puts all the frames together itself, or do you still have some of that you have to do on the host side, or what exactly does it cover? Um, so it does do the Ethernet, you know, like the the cable and whatnot. It has the connector, and um, it, it, it does what they call the media access layer or MAC layer and the physical layer, so the PHY layer. But, as you know, it is a pretty pretty bare bones controller um for those people that remember from you know way long ago um there was a ibm kind of very early in the days of ethernet for the pc there was a set of controllers that were very very simple 
um, and they used a chip called the Cirrus Logic CS8900A. And so probably not that big a deal, and then it's become a very ubiquitous chip. And the, the, it was designed for the IBM PC 16-bit bus, but it also had a secondary um, capability to be driven by an 8-bit um, uh, you know, by an 8-bit uh, CPU. And so that's how a lot of um, systems, the Commodore, the Atari, the Apple, I think there's an option for the Apple, all yeah. have adapters that use this CS8900A um, Ethernet IC. But it's very simple. So basically what it is is, is, is okay, construct a frame of you know, data. Typically, Ethernet is a 1,500-byte frame of, of information construct a frame of data, and if you tell me, I will send it out the appropriate way over the Ethernet wires. But the data that's in there, all the calculations, how the data is organized and everything, that's all up to the code to do. And so in this case, Brett, his code is doing all that work. So it's creating the essentially the Ethernet frame, which is 1,500 bytes or, or whatever size he wants it to be, um, and he's putting the TC, you know, the IP, you know, protocol in front, and he's putting the TCP payload in the middle of it, and and all of that. So he's doing all that work, and he's also polling the chip um, because whenever a, whenever an Ethernet frame comes to the device, um, Brett's program has to look at it and say, is this is this Ethernet frame of data for me, or is it just for somebody else on the network and so I can ignore it. It it just it has to do all that work. So it's it's a lot of work for the software. So I don't wanna I don't wanna understate Brett's contribution here. An Ethernet um uh um cartridge like this is nice in that it connects to you know what we now consider ubiquitous networking, which is Ethernet, um, but it's pretty dumb and it requires a lot of effort on the software programmer side. Yeah, and Brett mentions in his video here that this is a hack job. He's not actually he hasn't written a driver per se. He's actually talking directly to the card from the user program just to see if it works. Mm-hmm. And since he writes in Fusix, it's uh, what he uses for the demo here. So I'll just fast forward a little bit. If I may ask a question. Yep. Um, why did you choose to use the uh, eighty nine hundred? I mean, I understand that it's that it's um, a long history, especially in eight and sixteen bit machines, but. Um, why didn't you go with something newer, like in the WizNet line that are also 8-bit capable, but are they handle the other stuff for the machine better? So there's a couple, couple reasons why not, and not saying I couldn't. Um, one was the 8900 has a lot of code available online that you can just kind of basically uh, commandeer and use. Um, and so when I was talking to like Brad and some other folks initially to say, hey, you know, what what would be easiest for you to get something going? Um, and when we looked around, the source code availability for the 8900 was was a little better. Um, the other one is the WizNet chips are, yeah, they do do a lot more of the work, um, but they off, they also create some significant constraints. Like you can only do so many TCP connections at one time, and there's some you know, there's some stuff like that. Or with the WizNet, you can uh, drop back into this raw mode, which is basically the like this, like the 8900. You got to do all the work. Um, but once you've done that, then it's probably easier to just use the 8900 code and you know roll your own anyway. And there wasn't really any um, 
nobody was championing the WizNet 5100, which is the chip you're talking about, the 5100 or the 5300. Um, and so the 8900 was already, I already had a bunch here um, because I'd already previously done designs for other machines. So it was just easy to kind of lay out a board using the same chip. If there was somebody that came and said, you know, hey, I, I love a WizNet type, you know, design, um, preferable over the CS8900A, I'm not married to the chip. It just happened to be something that we could get access to code very quickly on the internet. Yeah, because I know that in, in another system they were discussing using the 8900 because it was so pervasive in the in the 64. Yep. Um, they, they decided that because there was so much code already for the 64 that they decided to go with it as opposed to mm-hmm. using one of the WizNets because the WizNet was actually used. Um, right. Never became popular. Mm-hmm. But now that we jump, now that we're this far into it, I'm actually pursuing a 5100 solution for the Cocoa just to see what I can do. So that that's fine. I I think um, you know I I I don't have anything. I don't have any issue with the the various options. I think probably where this is coming, and not to steal Curtis's thunder, but Ron's been. Um, you know, there's been a conversation over maybe the past 12 months and maybe even longer that's kind of ebbed and flowed about, uh, I did the initial kind of like you're thinking, Rick, I did the initial uh, network card as kind of a proof of concept, like, well, will it even work? And Brett got one and he played around with it for a little bit and he said, okay, I, I can send packets out through it. And I'm like, great, it works. There wasn't really a ton of interest primarily because there wasn't any applications that supported it. And so interest kind of waned, but I think Ron is trying to kind of, because now Brett has some capability in Fusix, I think Ron now is looking at it and saying, Hey, can we get some interest? I told him that there's a, um, there's kind of a minimum uh, bar that kind of needs to be um, hurdled over in order to make it worthwhile to build a batch of carts. Um, And so I think he's trying to see, you know, what kind of interest is there. Um, so he can put an order, you know, he can say, okay, there's, you know, there's 25 or 15 or however many people who are interested in a card. And then, um, we can, you know, lay out or not lay out, but, but manufacture that many and, and get them in the hands of people who want them. Is this yeah. the first time TCP IP is implemented on the Coco? Nope. Yeah, DriveWire, I think, does TCP IP as well. Yeah, yeah Dri- yes. DriveWire's done it. And also way back in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a K9Q project, which is a software-based running slip on a modem that did it too. Required 512K, but it was it was pretty slow. And it had limited. It did like Telnet and FTP and you know simple mail protocol and a few other things, but it wouldn't do anything super fancy. And it wasn't exactly the quickest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. I'll just show, show a little bit of the demo here. <clears throat> it worked. So we're going to dig. And is uh, Brett's voice loud okay, enough there, or do you need to turn it up a bit? UDP to a little bit? You can turn it up a little bit. Name servers and query the name servers to resolve a name into an address. And you'll see this looks reminiscent of uh, traditional dig from, uh, uh, what is it, NetBSD uh, named? I'm trying to remember which... Uh, Linux uh, package that's under, but anyway, um, you'll see all the traditional stuff. I got questions, answers, uh, authoritative name servers, additional information, 
Uh, there's my question I asked it, and here's all the answers, basically all the IP addresses that go along with Google. We'll try the same thing, dig. Uh, so he does another one with Yao just to show that it's really working. <clears throat> and then he does a, a kind of a cool thing. He goes in and logs into William Astle has a site there with uh, a traditional mud game, and I guess he's also got Telnet implemented in year two at this point as part of physics, I'm guessing. But he actually logs into it and kind of shows... Um, that actually running and actually that uses an Atari ST uh, VT52 emulation, so it actually does colored text and Physics stuff. Too. Via Jim's networking card. <laughs> and by the time you see this, I will shameful plug. <laughs> oh, I'm reconnecting, which means I already just logged in. But anyway, if I look around, you'll see some of the VT support. Uh, we got VT52 support uh, with Atari ST color codes, uh, which is a extension to it done by Atari STs to do. So you see the description of the room there is green instead of the, yeah. the white. Of course, it's artifacting because it's running uh, a you'll see composite. It's doing a nice solid TCB connection. Faster than a modem. And look, my character in the mud is exactly as old as I am, <laughs> 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 which is kind of scary because it says 40. <laughs> I'm running out of time here because I don't want to go too long, but uh, here's my miserable character in my mud. I'll I'll show all the video about that. uh. Okay. Now, uh, you'll see from my Fuzix box here, I'm going to pop open a terminal, and we're going to actually ping uh, 192.168.1.200, which is the IP address of my Coco sitting right next to the computer here. And this is actually going through the Ethernet uh, Cat5 cabling and so on and so forth through, the, through my home network into my Coco. And you'll see that I'm actually able to ping my Coco. Uh, That's so yes, wild. it does work. And That's that. And if I can bounce the camera around a little bit on you here. Not that you'll see anything too exciting down here, but you'll see the Coco and Jim's card. There. There's the Coco 3 with its cover off. Bare naked Coco 3 and Jim's internet card. Uh, I'm not going to bounce the camera around too much on you here. I don't want to, you know, basically all you see is a bunch of blinking lights. But that's his card plugged into Coco and that's it. It works. Thank you so much, Jim, for your work. And um, uh, if anybody has questions, of course, uh, give me an email or list it or whatever. And uh, hope you enjoy. Talk. So anyway, yeah, I just wanted to make sure we could show what the card actually looked like, too, so other people know that it actually does exist. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of Jim's projects are, are very interesting from a hardware perspective, but it's the same problem for most of them is that you need the software to drive it. I need people that, you know, are capable of writing the software to drive it, so I'm really glad Brett's getting involved in uh, getting this, this working, at least on Fusix for now. Eventually, hopefully, you know, one of us in the Nitrous Nine community can get it working on Nitrous Nine as well, mm-hmm. uh, as, as well as some other cards like your 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 multi CPU that actually does run simultaneously and, and things like that too. So, correct. Fair yeah, enough. That's the biggest problem. Just trying to get people to write the software because that's pretty low level stuff. So there's there's not a huge community or sub community within the community that can do that kind of stuff. I know you slackers. Goodness. Yeah, and our time is divided by all the other hardware products everybody else is coming up with too, plus all the software we want to do. So, <laughs> so I, I think we'll get Stevie to volunteer to write the Nitrous Nine driver. Oh, no, no problem. No problem. Yeah.
You'll be done next week then for the show? And it'll be available exclusively on ROM cartridge. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be on construction paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one looked pretty easy to make. <laughs> hey, well, thank you very much, Jim. Um, uh, before I get into the next story here, which is on the screen already, uh, did anybody else have any further questions for Jim on either of those projects, either the network card or the dual CPU? Wow, solved them all. No, well, yeah, there you go. Now congratulations. You up the sales. Yeah, congratulations and Brett for, for bringing that one home, though. Yeah, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did see, like, uh, Ron has been soliciting people to make the minimum order for the Coco Nick to get a batch of them made. And it yep. sounded like the last time I checked on Discord, which was early this morning, I think he was about 70% of the way there already for people. We're at nine think, now. Nine. He's at nine. He, I, told him, I told him 10 would be nice to get to to run a little batch and I think he's at nine right now so that's good yep I posted cool. a link to the Discord uh, actually Ron Klein good. says we've hit the magic number ten so we the telethon has succeeded Timmy will get a new wheelchair <laughs> obviously you know the more I mean I'll probably make a few more but if if folks want one because they're interested in it you know now would be the time to to get on board because I you know as Ron can tell you it's probably been over a year since we've chatted about it so not something that's going to come up right away after we've run the first batch. And then the, the CPU cards, though, those those are something that you regularly sell. Like that's not kind of a an upcoming thing. No, they're on the they're on the website. Um, Dave Lad just um, told me that I need to update the picture and whatnot on the website so that it's got the the new you know design on there. Uh, ballpark. <clears throat> what will the network card cost? Fifty. Fifty. That's Amer- mm-hmm. in American money. Sorry, American American dollars. Okay. Yes, <laughs> America, America. And how much are the dual CPU uh, boards? Just for people who want to know both the Coco two and the Coco three version, if they're different price, I don't know. Uh no, there's no there's no price difference. It's the same pieces and parts. Um, but you would ask me what it was, and I put them on the website, and then I promptly forget what they cost. So hold on here <laughs> a second. I figure. That's that's my record. I don't need to retain that information. Right, that's what the cloud is for, you know, for us that's to right. store it and all forget my information it. information <laughs> in the cloud. Um, yeah. Let's see here. It's like password managers. Color computer. So the dual CPU card is, well, the the, the board itself is $1.50. It's sold as a kit. Um, there's nothing to it, really. Um, but I will put, I think the finished units, I need to put them up there. It'll probably be like $10. Um, for the full design, um, maybe $12 with the additional two chips in there, but definitely not too much um, cost involved. Okay. And then just because we had a few questions in the chat here, um, for the yeah. uh, the dual CPU cartridge where you actually run them simultaneously with their own RAM, mm-hmm. have you got a rough price what that would cost if somebody can actually get off their ass and write a driver for it? <laughs> um, you know, I think seems to me like I like to have everything. I, I don't like to do cards that are more than, you know, 50 or $60. So without a case, um, I think, uh, you know, 50, maybe 60. Uh, the big thing there is the Hitachi CPUs are a little pricey at times. I mean, I don't mean like 20 bucks, but still, you know, you, $5 a CPU starts to add up once you got two CPUs on there for $10. And that's just raw parts cost. So um, probably 60 I would say 60, 65 is the cost without a case. The case is 
obviously kind of bumped the price quite a bit because the cases are like ten dollars. Um, but it does fit in a you know standard um, game cartridge case. Uh, okay, so it doesn't need the, like a larger disc controller or to the back size case. It's just a standard. No, it's just a standard. Uh, you know the the black case from you know whatever what what what's the what's the game that everybody loves to rob the case from? Color yeah, script set. Dino Wars is a popular one. Color Dino, script set. Color script set. That's the one I'm saying. <laughs> Castle, Castle of Thargood. So, <laughs> so whatever the yeah whatever the game is that you are willing to to rob a case from, it'll fit in that kind of case. Predators, yeah. mine to use for recycling. <laughs> <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> yep. Yeah, because I mean, there's a lot of things that could be done with that too, especially with the shared RAM. You could like send sound samples and stuff and have it just jam out the pre mixed multi voice samples. You could pre you know, render some sprites on a background and just send the final tile merge together just for the main CPU to draw. There's a ton of things you could do with that. Well, that's, yeah, and that's a thing where I'm looking, you know, for somebody who has some time and wants to play around because the design's not finished. I mean, we could modify the design because it's not like it's a board in production. So if somebody said, oh, wouldn't it be really great if we had, you know, whatever, um, it would be not, you know, assuming that it's possible to do that, it would be not that difficult to to make those changes. That's the beauty of kind of designing hardware. You, you know, as long as you've got somebody on the other side who says, you know, I could, if you could change this one thing about it, then I could write the software to do this really cool thing then, you know, it's a nice time clock. Huh? Yeah, real, real time, time clock. clock. <laughs> real time clock. You guys in your real time clock. <laughs> I'm all for that. I, I won't argue that point. Everybody needs a real time clock. <laughs> Even if it bumps the price up to $55, I think the real time right. clock would be worth it. That's so. right. <laughs> if you add a sound chip to the real time clock, it could, it could name the hour on the hour for you, too. At the tone, the time will be... Well, that's, yeah. that's right. That's one of the things I thought, and one of the, you know, the current design, like I said, just a prototype, but the current design of the um, the coprocessor card, one of the CPUs is tied to a, um, a digital, you know, like a Orchestra 90 capability. And so I thought the idea was you could just devote one of the CPUs to just doing, you know, background music for a game or something. Yeah, right. But it, but it would be, you know, that's all they would have to do. So it could just... It could just play music all the time and then just every once in a while check with the main CPUs to say, hey, do you want me to change to do, um, you know, do you want me to change to do a different uh, tune or do you want me to play an explosion or another sound effect or whatever? Because I'm all I'm doing is playing sounds over here. <clears throat> yep. The main main Coco CPU would be busy drawing the graphics, doing the AI, but not have to touch sound at all, which That's means right. the fire queue's not being used, all that overhead's gone. That's right. The one nice thing about this, I mean, we've we've had you know proposals for designs for adding in sprite chips and other things too that you know give us other extra capabilities. But this because it's it's six through nines. I mean, one the programmers that already know the six through nine, six through nine don't have to learn anything new. It's just the same stuff. And two, because they're general purpose CPUs, you can use it for sound, you could use it for an AI routine, you could use it for a mapping routine. Like you could basically pick whatever you want to offload off the main CPU. And then maybe have a signaling system sending in, you know, a software interrupt or something back and forth saying, you know, let me know when this is ready and I'll come grab it. Right. While I right. can go ahead and do something else. That was part of the design goal of the TC9, TC70K bus system too, as I mentioned before. That once again never got implemented because the imagine, software never got done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, imagine compiled sprites. You have the second CPU unpacking everything for you, and then right. just loading up. Yeah, the if it knows the underlying tiles that are underneath or, or layering the stuff, you can you can have it pre-render everything over there. Plus, the other thing I think, if I remember correctly, 
your your external CPU for the dual CPU with the five twelve K, those were three megahertz six three nines too, weren't they? They were, and I was going to try and run them at four megahertz. So you know, which I think is possible to do, um, but you know, obviously, you know, just needs some. It yeah, just needs because some they're de- they're detached from the gimme. They don't have to try to you know sync up with signals no. and stuff like that, so they can run full no. throttle. That's right. They they absolutely can. Well, one of the things you know, like I, people are like, um, hey, what do you you know what do you find interesting about the various um, classic computer you know, different types, you know, the TI, the Atari, the Commodore, the the Coco and whatnot. I think one of the things that's most interesting around the color computer is that it doesn't have the specialized integrated circuits like some of the other computers in that era. So the, like the Commodore, Commodore 64 has, that's the right. The, that's right. So the Atari and the Commodore 64, I mean, graphics were pretty easy for each one of those. Sound was relatively easy for both of those because they had specialized ICs to do that. So I feel like the color computer community should be lauded for the fact that in the absence of having the hardware to do that capability, um, there's been people who have taken on the challenge of doing those things in software. And what I'm thinking is, and you kind of see this carried out in kind of a, an extreme nowadays where instead of having a, uh, a dedicated, um, you know, bucket of circuits to do a, uh, a, you know, a retro um, color computer, um, you know, system as opposed to, you know, as opposed to, um, uh, you know, running it on an emulator or whatever, you just run, you just put the emulator on a, on a, on a, on a Raspberry Pi. And you basically are saying, you know what, CPUs now are so fast, you can just emulate the hardware using, using some software that you've written. And that's a way that people can, can enjoy um, the application without having dedicated hardware. I'm just thinking you could also bring that back down to the uh, expansion and say, you know what, instead of loading up a whole bunch of dedicated circuitry onto the color computer or any of the computer systems, it's been shown from the color computer community that you can, if you have enough uh, general purpose computing power at your disposal, you can emulate or or simulate sprites and sound and all of these other things so maybe instead of trying to run around finding all these specialized integrated circuits maybe it's best if you just throw general purpose cpus at the at the problem and say you know what i can't deliver to you this cool whiz bang sound chip but i can give you another 6309 and if you want to devote that 6309 to just generating music go for it. And if you don't, then that's fine. You get to choose. The nice thing about a general purpose computing platform like a 6309 is that if you put a sound chip on a board, then you've got sound. And if your software all of a sudden decides, you know what, I don't really need sound. I really need some more horsepower to do number crunching. Well, too bad. You got a sound chip, take it or leave it. But if you have a 6309 on board, then it's like, you know what, I don't really need sound right now, but I do need some additional sprite calcs. So I'll go ahead and devote some energy to sprite calcs. And then later on, I'll go back to doing sound generation. Yeah, or you could do like, you know, have it do part of a 3D engine and texture mapping or something like that. And you want to write a Doom game or something. That's right. Like there, it just leaves the possibilities pretty well, you know, up to the programmer. It's pretty well endless. Whatever you can think of, you can try. And because they're already running 50% faster than the CPU built in the Cocoa 3 itself, and you have two of them, and they each have their own RAM they can fiddle with to do things and then just send stuff back to the main CPU, which is still running at the same time as well. So you basically mm-hmm. have three CPUs running simultaneously. There's a ton of things you could do with that. Yep. 
So take the take the I would say the community should take the credit for kind of proving that you don't have to have specialized equipment in your machine in order to generate you know the 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 types of things that people expect when it comes to applications and games and so forth and I'm just kind of drawing on that thought to con- and continuing that thought forward. I'm thinking of a song parody that would work for this. How about two pews for everyone? <laughs> there you go. Gimes, get on that. <laughs> anyway, I know you've, you've shown the board off at, at uh, Fest before here, and I just don't have time to you know, get into doing that myself, but there's so many possibilities. And we do have some up-and-coming programmers. I mean, uh, Mr. Dave and a few others here have actually been and, – and, and, um, Lord Dragon, a few others have been getting into the 6809, assembly language programming. Sheldon McDonald's another one. We're, we're getting more people that are getting at the skill level. They could start using this to its full potential. Mm-hmm. And that means it's not just on you know a core four or five of us to try to get some of this stuff done. So I'm hoping that some of them might get interested enough to maybe get some of the prototypes off of you for this kind of thing and then actually start fiddling with it. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. I, I'll, you know... I don't know how how everybody else operates, but for me, you know, designing the hardware is super easy. I mean, I mean, obviously there's challenges with designing hardware, but the the act of you know laying things out and and getting them produced is is a kind of a nominal process. Um, but in general, it is difficult to get excited about a hardware project if there's not somebody on the software side that's you know kind of equally as excited about it and can, um, you know, kind of take, take on that aspect of it. As Curtis knows, I have been thoroughly, thoroughly, uh, frustrated over the last week trying to write just tiny little snippets of code in, in 60 to nine machine language. And last night I about ready, I was about ready to throw the Coco three out the window, trying to get basic to load a file. So Having me try to do software is definitely an exercise in frustration. It's not your strong point. It's that's not. It's which is funny because I'm a software developer in real life, but C is really my. And I know there's CMOC, and maybe I'll go down that path. But assembly and basic, ba- basics fine. It, the, the thing yesterday was just I didn't understand how the sixty or the the, the, uh, the Coco Basic. Yeah, yeah, the, I didn't understand Coco Basic, and so I was just trying to familiarize with, with myself with that. But just machine language and understanding that it's how the sixty nine operates. It's it's just not that easy for me, and I know for some of you, um, you could sit down in front of an editor and crank out, you know, uh, a, a mini game in an hour, and it, I'm sure it would take me weeks to do. Yeah, we're talking about Nick Morandi's there, but go ahead. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that we we have you know multiple people that are doing hardware support, multiple people that are now capable at this point of doing software support at a low level. And I hope when we get the two communities kind of merge together on some of these projects, we can actually you know get them kickstarted up to the point of becoming viable products to sell, as opposed to a prototype that sits on a shelf waiting for somebody to write something. Yep, that, and that's the thing. I I hate to do that because, and there's some folks that are in the community now. They're kind of helping to bring the the minimum quantity down. But in reality, to do things in a mass-produced space. Um, there are really some minimum quantities you have to have. And so, I mean, I hate to say that because I know everybody's like, well, Jim, uh, you know, I'm only one person, but I'm really interested in this. And I'm like, I feel for you. But um, I I literally am not going to sit at my desk in the precious hours that I have and solder up boards. It's just not happening. I'm sorry. And I'm happy to lay them out, happy to send them out for production, but I'm not soldering up by hand. Um, And 
you know, if there's just one or two, it, it just doesn't get done. Cause I just look at them on the desk here and I'm like, Ugh, ugh. I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I got, I got so many other things I'd like to do. And this is just not, you know, I mean, I, I can solder them up, but I just, I'm not, it's not a huge fulfilling effort. And if you're going to have a mass produced, there's a minimum quantity. And so it's almost like you need to kind of constrain the ideas to something that is got enough, um, you know, scope or enough, enough, you know, people that are interested in it so that they'll say, you know what, if you do that, I will, you know, 25, 50 people or whatever, I will, I will buy into that. And then you're like, okay, now it makes sense to go ahead and get this thing, you know, produced. Yeah, I mean, B- Bill out. Noble and I have the same problem on the software side because, I mean, we're working on Nigris 9 and we are starting to try to incorporate little bits of other hardware. Like we got a little bit of basic bear support for the Gimme X at this point. But our list of stuff we want to do just for standard bog Cocoa 3s that we've had sitting around since the late 90s, I've still got 40, 50 things on that, and we keep adding more to them as we think of new things to try. So it's the same same thing. You know, you have to you know, take some time out to learn how this new hardware works and test it, and you, you might have some hardware bugs on some of these prototype ones that you have to kind of figure out at the same time as a software, which is distracting us from actually getting stuff out that you know the majority of people will be using. And that's kind of the same, same boat we've got with you just from the software side of things. So I know sucks to be, it's just, it sucks all around, right? <laughs> yep. the, the one good thing I'm finding now, though, is that we're getting more and more people getting assembly language programming under their belts, like the Sheldon McDonald's, the Jim Rise, the, um, you know, Lord Dragon Todd Wallace and, and uh, Mr. Dave and a few others here that are actually getting up to the level now they can start doing some of these projects. And I know they're interested in some of these projects too. And then the rest of us that are, you know, have these you know big long lists of stuff we're trying to get done in the meantime can just stick on those and actually get them done. And then these people can go through and help you with, you know, doing the prototypes and fixing any bugs on the hardware side, getting some basic software to run on them. And then, you know, maybe in a year or two, once we catch up some of our other projects, maybe we can start helping them, incorporating them into operating systems, et cetera. Uh, but that'll save us a ton of the time in between and not lose all the time waiting for, you know, Bill or me to get unbusy enough or Brett or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Nope. Fair enough. So, I mean, a lot of cool stuff happening. Thank you, yep. Jim. No, no problem. Okay, so back to the news. That was story one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next up, um, Alan Huffman on, of Sabitha Software has got another one of his blog posts on benchmarking the Cocoa keyboard. This is now up to part seven. So this uh, includes a follow-up. So last week we noticed noted that he had a blog that he made a mistake in the code because he was trying to figure out optimizing action and actually ran slower and he couldn't figure out why, and he said he did figure it out. So here he goes through and explains what the problem was, and some people had pointed out in, in the blog comments what that thing was. I won't you know, spoil the surprise for I'll let you guys go read it, but uh, he did manage to get it back up to speed thanks to some of the viewers of his, his blog and commenters. Hey, next up, and this is just more of a general thing. This is not a specific link, but in the Tandy Nitrous 9 group on Facebook... Um, Joanne Donaldson's been working a lot with the C compiler, uh, both in the ease of use version and I think also with the original one as well, but has had a lot of really good questions of trying to figure out things that are different between the Cocoa one and standard KNR or between the Cocoa one and ANSI and all this kind of stuff. So there's a whole series of questions that have been getting a lot of you know, comments from people that are experienced on the Cocoa C side of things. And, and she's been you know, kind of relearning. She hasn't touched it in 20, 30 years. And a lot of us have been commenting back and forth and stuff here. So if any of you are interested in learning C under nitrous nine, and you want to see it from a person that's not quite a beginner, but pretty close to it at this point, learning some of the idiosyncrasies of the, the microwear C or the DCC that we're including with ease of use now by Jeff Tennyson. 
Um, it's got some really good comments and some really good tips and tricks that you can find on there. So it's a good good place to start if you want to kind of get a flavor of the Cocoa version of C. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing that you know, happening on CMOC stuff too, because I know there's some differences there between that and, and quote-unquote regular C as well. We should point out there's a C channel in Discord too under our programming yes. category. Yep. Yeah. Next up, a brief uh, follow-up from uh, Terry Trapp. So he had this P2 eval board that we covered last week, and now he has it actually working on the Cocoa Bus. I won't bother playing the video because it's basically similar to the video we did last week when he was trying to figure out what was going on. But he said thanks to Greg Miller for showing me the way because there were some multiple comments from his last week's post on it. But he actually has it, so it actually is monitoring the Cocoa Bus and, and can actually report the d- results. So that's a pretty cool hardware project for some of you guys. Next up, we have uh, Chad Edward here. Um, I think we might have mentioned this a while ago, but just kind of to re-mention it here. Um, they're trying to get a Facebook group as large as they can with Australian Cocoa users. So this is a private group you have to apply for. And it's meant to try to get enough Cocoa people in Australia together so that they can actually do a Tandy Assembly slash Cocoa Fest in Australia for Australians. Of course, everybody else is welcome to come down too once travel's allowed anywhere in the world. Crikey. But uh, I think they're up to 20 or 25 members, or 33 members now, I guess, uh, currently in there. So uh, if once they hit a good critical mass and travel's allowed again, I mean, they can... Actually, Nick, you can update me. Is travel allowed between the states in Australia is, at this point? It, it is at the moment, yeah. Okay, and occasionally you lock down if there's a little outbreak or something? Yeah, yeah, we lock it all down. If you guys just sealed the edges of your mask with Vegemite, no germs would get in or out. <laughs> yeah, just, just bathe in this stuff, and you'll, you'll be healthy for life. Uh, well, that's right. our secret. That's how we keep everyone away. That's right. COVID free. Well, Thanks to Vegemite. I've never been to Australia because you threatened me with Vegemite before. So. That's it. <laughs> that's well, how you get rid cool of COVID. I think it's a pretty cool idea to actually get an Australian uh, Cocoa Fest because that's – a fairly expensive trip for Australians to come up here. And when the dollar in the States is worth 40% more than you, it's worth 25 more than us. And uh, the flights are not cheap even when they are allowed. So it's an expensive prospect to fly all the way up. And I think there are, there, a local one. there's got to be enough retro enthusiasts there because I know um, a couple of years ago, uh, Nick Marentes did the showed us the Oz uh, K-Fest. So there's some uh, obviously some Apple, Apple fans, and then Danny O'Connor had gone to an Adelaide uh, retro meetup. So there's got to be retro enthusiasts there. Oh, definitely. And then some of them, you don't you don't have to have even owned a Coco to maybe be a fan of the Coco and maybe want to attend a Coco uh, event. Um, so I would say you know broad you know make sure that you, if they're if they're promoting this, let those people in Australia know. Even if you don't know what a Coco is and you don't have a Coco, if you love vintage check us out and come to yeah. the event. You and know? the fact that Ian Maverick's in, involved, and he's also, he, he's involved in the Cocoa. He does some Cocoa hardware stuff mm-hmm. in Australia, but he also does the Tandy assembly, you know, the model one, two, three, four, et cetera, et cetera, too. So yeah. even there, they can widen the show audience. with Right, and with he's it. on the Trash Talkers podcast, so if the event yeah. was going to happen, hopefully he would help promote it there through those channels. And Nick, uh, do you know, is, is there a fairly large, you know, black and white Terracity group in Australia, like a fairly large segment of the population that uses that in the retro community? Uh, Ian Maverick would be the one uh, more to do with that. I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not aware of any in my town anyway. But okay. there might be more down uh, wherever Ian is in Melbourne, I think. So and in the case of within Australia, with Australians, well, I guess you have to put the Vegemite out to attract them in to come in. <laughs> That's it. 
So anyway, for any Australian listeners, please go join that Facebook group and let them know that you exist. And then uh, when they get to the point of actually planning the show, uh, whether it's a straight Cocoa Fest or Cocoa Fest Tandy assembly or just a general retro show with a, a focus on the, the Tandy computers, that would be pretty good to get them more people involved. Next up, we have John Whitworth posted a video of how he got around an issue with booting OS 9 on a Dragon 64 with a Dragon Plus board installed with a Cocoa SDC. So this is a combination of hardware bits. And uh, the Cocoa, the Dragon Plus board, for those that don't remember, is an 80-column card, and it's based on a design back from 1985. And it was kind of like the word pack here in North America. Now, there was a problem where if you tried to boot it with that card plugged in, it would just freeze in the OS 9 boot. And when he later discovered, and he's actually put a blog post up this morning, which I'll show in a second here, he actually, you have to add some pull-up resistors, and Jim can you know, more explain how that means anything. Um, but basically, once he did this little CPU adapter board with these extra pull-up resistors on it, it does start to work. Um, so I will play the video here, a little bit of it anyway. So this is showing uh, the SDC kind of raw card on the right-hand side, plugged into the cartridge slot. And... Hello, is that loud enough to hear? Um, okay. Maybe a little bit louder. A bit louder. New. This is a Dragon 64. Well, with its top off, it has the Dragon Plus board installed. It has a regular 6809 processor. It has a Coco SDC installed. Apologies for the shadows here. And I am about to boot it up. There we go, that lovely green screen. I am going to mount the disc to boot OS 9 with the Dragon Plus. If I can remember the name of the file, I hope so. And if I boot that, you would hope that uh, OS 9 would boot. It's funny to me how many basic commands are totally different on the Dragon, like boot instead of DOS. And right. So it starts, it reads the kernel track fine, and which does this screen, doesn't. and then it just hangs. So. I'll fast forward a bit here. Failed boot of uh, Dragon Plus OS 9. I've installed a CPU adapter. That thing has got like an emergency brake handle on it. If you're going too fast, just <laughs> grab that son of a bitch. Yeah, you need a bigger handle for the 6309 now. Just give me a boot. And I'll come back a little bit so you can see. Both screens. Here we go. Okay, there's the level one. Okay, there's that P mode four graphic font. Now we're booting into the eighty column kind of word pack font. The Dragon yep. Plus card loaded successfully. Running directly from OS nine. And this has been done using uh, a adapter board, which is putting pull-up resistors on the address lines and the read-write line in the same way as is done with the Coco 3. So, Jim, since you're 
still here. I'm hoping uh, if you can explain what the pull-up resistors on the Coco 3 do that this problem would have solved on a Dragon Plus. So um, there's so in in the parlance there's um, there's such a thing as what they call fan out and the there's a drive capacity for CPUs and so the, on the on the Coco there's there's quite a bit of um, uh, there's quite a bit of things hanging off of the bus um, on on the uh, you know on on the Coco three actually there's a couple of things hanging off the bus on on all the Cocos um, so the pull up resistors help kind of kind of pull the 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 the, the chips of the day could pull to ground easier than they could pull to five volts. So creating a logical zero on the bus was easier than creating a logical one. And so if you were right on the edges of drive capacity, um, then which, which the Coco three is, and I think all the Cocos have this um, to some degree, but the Coco three has quite a bit hanging off of there. So if you're right at the edges, pull, pull putting resistors to pull things to five volts gives you a little bit added kind of oomph when it comes to getting a one out in the out in the system. And then of course, like I said, the the chips can can um can pull to zero a little bit easier. Um so you don't have to worry about that so much. Um so that's that's what the, that's why the Coco 3 has has those in there is just to give that um give that little bit extra um last last few you know last few volts or millivolts or whatever push to get up high enough so that everything thinks of a one as a one, as opposed to, I don't know, you know, cause in the, in the in computers, you everybody thinks of things as one and zero as if they're just perfect things, you know, it's either a one or if it's not, it's a zero, but on the bus um, uh, you've got zero to five volts, but that's not really what it is. Zero isn't, you know, zero volts isn't a zero and five volts isn't a one. Um, typically most of the chips operate in what they call TTL, um, uh, I guess, uh, signaling is what it would call the TTL signaling, um, methodology. And that means that anything from zero volts, zero volts to 0.8 volts is considered a zero. And then everything from 2.2 volts up is considered a one and anything in between 0.8 volts and 2.2 is kind of an undefined. It's kind of like no man's land. And so you really want to keep the signal out of that no man's land. It either needs to be down at zero you know, or right hovering right above zero, or it needs to be way, it needs to be nicely above 2.2 volts. Okay. Cause it sounds like they, like him and Paris Surratt, <clears throat> who's done a lot of the Coco SDC program for the dragon specifically. And then Darren Atkinson, of course, who's done the SDC design in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, Darren's the one who kind of figured out that he figured that the 6 and 9 sync command, I kind of highlighted the text here in his blog, mm-hmm. uh, used in various DOS versions might be susceptible to all the additional circuitry that was connected with right. the Coco SDC, the Dragon MSX2 Plus, or the yep. uh, Dragon Plus board, which actually has extra RAM for RAM disk as well as the 80-column mm-hmm. card. Mm-hmm. And that solved it. So it... Uh, yep, that's that's what I mean when I'm talking about when you're right at the edges of... So drive capability, it means that the more stuff you put on the bus, everything everything consumes a little bit of, of the power. And so as you get to a certain number of things on the bus, then the stuff that's on there doesn't behave as well because it can't, it can't, it's, it's like, it's like there's too many train cars and it's the locomotive trying to pull things one way or the other. And there's just so many train cars on the, on the tracks is really kind of how to think about it. Okay. 
So I want, to, I want to mention that. And I wanted, I was glad to have you here to help explain the hardware side of things. So John mm-hmm. is planning on making a, a board that does these pull-up resistors. You can just plug into a drag and plug your CPU in and fix that. But he's also got um, actual kit versions here. And he's also going to be releasing the actual, you know, uh, design for it so you can make your own if you want even mentions you can even put in the circuitry on the circuit board of the motherboard itself say underneath where the cpu is to do this too so you can actually fix it without having to you know, put a satellite board of any sort into there but it was pretty cool to see that and i mean for like both the dragon community and the code community we are starting to add more and more hardware like, like we're just talking a bunch of your projects here too um so you know for the ones that don't have these pull resistors that might actually be a bit more of an issue now do the coco one and two have those as well or is no. that unique to the three I don't. I don't think they do. If I remember looking at the circuitry, I don't think that they do um, have. So their... they might encounter the same problem with some of these heavy draining boards. That's right. And you know, I mean, looking looking at the stuff that you've got up on, I guess this is this is his blog or whatnot. I think it's um, Theron Atkins' blog, is it, or is it? Well, no, this is a co.uk. Okay, ah, okay, so yeah, so it, okay. but he's but he's um, he's uh, uh, copying or, or paraphrasing some stuff that that Darren. Um, came up with, um, you know, I- anything that can claim, I mean, essentially, re- whether it's too many, too many devices on the bus, or it's, um, you know, the fact that sometimes the bus goes into, like I said, a, an, um, a tri-state control or a, or a, like, electrically get yourself off the bus kind of state, any of those things, you know, the, the, the better that you can keep all the signals nice and crisp, the better, right? That the 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 computer hates for um, circuitry or for signals to kind of uh, meander around. And when he when he's talking about on here around capacitance, which is in, which is another aspect of putting too many devices on the bus. Anytime you add capacitance to a signal, just for anybody to understand, anytime you do that, um, the the you go if you're going from a one to a zero it just kind of, it's like a ski slope. It just sort of kind of slowly goes down to zero because there's capacitance in there. And so the goal is to try to get that ski slope as, as, as short as possible to go to zero as quickly as possible. Or if you're going from yeah, zero to, turn to it one, from a ski slope to a cliff. That's right. You want to go from a, essentially you want to go from a bunny slope to a diamond slope, right? Is really what <laughs> you want. I mean, that is truly what you want. So, um, you know, anytime you can, you, you know, whether it's resistors or it's, you know, something else, anything you can do to shorten the amount of time it takes to get from one thing to another, from zero to one or one to zero, is a good thing. This is very obvious when you put an oscilloscope on the lines, you can see those transitions. You can. You absolutely can. And that, that's kind of like the transitions we saw um, 8, 8 bit zone do Alan uh, when he was doing the cassettes, where the old transitions were not going all the way down like they were supposed to, not going all the way zero back. Zero like crossover or whatever he was talking about, yeah. right? So. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the thing. I mean, in general, you know, we we kind of take it for granted that, you know, it, it, it's it's we, it's digital. This is a digital computer. But sorry, in the in the heart of it, it's still all analog. <laughs> and so the analog part comes back to bite us every once in a while. So I just want to try to tie this into a discussion that we had before, because I think this is almost a literal uh, example of it. But there was a discussion that we were kind of um uh, egging on a while ago about is uh, does hardware distort the hobby and this is almost a case where having too much hardware on the bus is literally distorting the signaling through the bus <laughs> that is um, causing some issues mm-hmm. yeah it it's uh you just don't think about it you think you know oh how just i'll just um 
hook another thing off to the end and I'll just put another thing in the CPU socket and I'll add some more stuff to the memory socket or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and then you, you know, you go to fire it up and it just doesn't work and you're like, what in the world happened? And, and then you, it, after many nights of head scratching later, then you realize that um, you've really, you really assumed facts, not in evidence that you could just dump all that stuff on there and everything would be fine. And at really? first, like watching this, if I tried this, I would have figured there's a bug in OS nine, something's wrong with the drive because it starts <laughs> booting true. and it crashes, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, the worst, uh, the worst, and and it sounds like he didn't have the worst of it because it would just not work. Which is actually, I know that sounds horrible, but it's even that's even that's better than it kind of works or it sort of works or it sometimes works. Those are the worst Tuesdays because yeah, then you don't know if it's software or hardware or both. Yeah, you have no idea. You know, it's like, well, I don't know. Like the, um, it's probably another. Uh, news segment, but there's somebody else that's working on sniffing the bus with a parallax that's got a thing on um, on on a Facebook, and and even in the video he's like, well, I don't have it quite right. It's uh, don't really have the timing quite right. So sometimes it doesn't work, and I'm thinking that's the part that you hate. It's either work <laughs> or don't work, but don't sometimes work. That's the worst. <clears throat> Go ahead, Rick. No, I was just saying that exactly the same thing. It only works in direct sunlight on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. yeah, and we've hit that before where, you know, a piece of hardware or software will run on somebody's cocoa and you think, great, I'll release this, and then somebody else runs it. It just crashes. I don't, what did you release this for? Mm-hmm. Well, it's running fun on mine. <laughs> you have to try to figure out. <laughs> I hate those. <laughs> that's, that's when I you know, start thinking I'm just going to retire from software development and, you know, watch Netflix all day or something. Mm. The help command comes to mind. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, on to a bit more lighthearted things. Um, Simon Johnson posted a picture. This is a Mandelbrot set. Now, he's been converting a basic program to assembly to render it a lot faster. Now, he had a slight coding error here with the colors on the outside of the picture, but actually it produced a pretty cool effect here. It actually looks better than most of the generic rainbow-colored Mandelbrot sets mm-hmm. I've seen. So, nothing really purposeful, but just uh, it's a it's a pretty cool, cool-looking picture. Gotta it love is. the geometry there. Fractals. Hey, next up, uh, Robert Sieg's been quite busy in the MC10 community this week. So the first one here, he posted in the, that he's made a text reader for the MC10 that uses the full capabilities of the new MCX32 SD reader card that uh, Stevie has demoed. And his first uh, test uh, file that he decided to use was the entire Bible, uh, which is over 700 files of 6K each. And... Of course, the MC10 originally had cassettes, so that would have been impossible to do in the old days. But he actually has it basically working properly and, and mentioned it here and some details about it. Uh, I don't think he's released it quite yet. But uh, basically, you can just pull stuff off the SD card using the extended uh, basic that does the disk stuff. So, proof of concept. I think that opens up, you know, like text adventures with, you know, semi graphics yeah, and stuff. It opens that up hugely. Yeah, or you could port some of the games that wouldn't fit on it before, because you can just pull the stuff off disc, like Infocom games and yeah. some some of the later Scott Adams ones. Next up, he also released a um, BMP reader program, which you can download off the Facebook MC10 group, and it does a couple things. It, it gives you the information on the BMP file format, like you know how many colors are stored and what the resolution is, etc. And if it's a certain type, which is a two-color 128 by 96, it'll actually allow you to load and convert it to load on the screen itself. <clears throat> so he's got it there. It's not the quickest thing in the world, though. Um, he did do a video demo here. Um, now, this one is sped up 
to, to get you to see it properly. And I think this is written in basic. So I mean, if you're in a similar language one, you definitely could speed it up. Um, but it will draw. Now he's holding it with shaky cam here. So he, he sped up the video. So it's really shaking. It looks like he's in an earthquake. But it's just to show what the uh, the loading looks like. Okay, so it's loading it in. Wait for it. So anyway, it basically loads in this picture. Now this was a nice... Um... Yeah. And I mean, now with the extended capabilities, and if you have that RAM modification inside the MC-10, you can actually do full P-Mode 4. You can, of course, design BMPs for 256 by 192 or 128 by 192 four color, et cetera, too. So uh, this this definitely has some legs on it. If he does some semi-language optimizations on it or even re- rewrites an assembly eventually, I mean, you could actually load these up and convert them at you know at really good speeds. And then you could do like a graphical adventure game or something using stuff you've created on the PC side or the Mac side or wherever you've got a BMP editor instead of having to make it specifically for the MC-10. Next up, another MC-10 uh, story from Jim McClellan. So we've been covering his uh, McDraw program, and he keeps updating it just about every week at this point. And this week is no exception. He uh, took the alpha type, which we showed last week, that same screenshot where it shows the, the larger characters made out of semi-graphics blocks. He's now got the ability to erase them, so you can actually like basically delete characters out from screen and put them back on. And... Uh, the original version from last week, he had the option you could save it as a binary file that you just load M in, or you could save it as a basic program, which actually creates the code to draw the graphics on the screen. But he had it hard-coded for a certain file name. So he updated it this time, so you can actually specify whatever you want to call the basic program. Just a nice minor tweak. So that's available for download also from his uh, Google Drive, and if you're the MC10 group, the link to it is in his post. A lot of stuff going on in the MC10 space. It's very cool. And to continue that, another MC-10 one. So Mark Dusko wrote a sample circle routine for the MC-10, adapted from Atari Basic Books, actually, which he said it actually ran a bit faster than he thought. But the interesting thing is, as you went through the comments here, various other people came up with some other algorithms. Some are faster, some are more accurate, etc. So there's there's multiple source listings here generating circles. And this is in the standard 64 by 32 set reset, you know, semi-graphics color mode. Uh, and then they get into you know, the different algorithms that people have come up with over the years, like the resin ham and stuff. Uh, so it's a pretty in- good, interesting set of different things you could try, including the original one that started the whole conversation. So it's good to see, like you said, you know, a lot of stuff is happening in MC10. There's some of these names I have not seen before, so I think the MC10 group's actually expanding right now, and more people are getting directly involved with programming on it. So. I, I think we'll see a breakthrough uh, of, of the amount of software coming out this year, and it won't be just Jim Brain all the time. Jim so. Gary, but yeah. Or sorry, yeah, Jim. <laughs> no, Jim, if you want to take over some MC10 programming to add to your list, go ahead. But yeah, Jim Gary. I'm looking for the uh, the MC10 MIDI Master Network Memory Dual CPU Combo Card with real-time clock. I was just going to say, you just about forgot the real-time Yeah, clock. and sound chip, no less. That's a cardinal sin. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> <laughs> who is it that, who is it that, was it Steve Bjork that was such the MC10 hater? Yes, 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 it, yes. He would just, he'd just absolutely abhor that, wouldn't he? Yes, because it killed the deluxe color computer, in that's case you right, forgot. That's right, that's right. Yes, so. I, I, did, I almost <laughs> forgot. Stevie wasn't a fan of it either in the beginning of the shows. No, I never hated it. I used to like the running gag of the doorstop because it was funny, but I never had any actual hate for it. 
Yes, go back, play but the tape. Definitely, play the there, tape. There's, there's <laughs> been so many hardware updates, like the SDX32 and stuff now, that where you have like hard drive, or not hard drive, but uh, you know, disk drive emulation, which there was a floppy adapter for it way back when, but it, I think maybe three people on the planet ever made one. Um, and of course, we've got these sped up cassette things and stuff now too, but uh, definitely, it's definitely been taking off the last little while, so it's it's getting to be a worthwhile machine to, to fiddle with. And of course, there's online emulators. There's emulators you can download. Um, so there's Matrix a ton of ways to try it, even if you don't have one. What's that? Matrix Nine on MC10. No, that yeah, that, that, not not for six eight zero three. I'm waiting for a I'm waiting for a repack. That's that's you guys' term. Yeah, isn't and, it? and a full size PC tower case. That would be awesome. That's right. That's what I'm yeah. I'm waiting. I want to see that at uh, the next Coco Fest. Is a uh, is a is an MC10 repack. Well, we have something close to that because Robert Sieg had put the Coco VGA in it, so he had to put the keyboard on top of that's the case. Right. So. That's right. That's right. I saw that. I saw that. That was quite the. That was quite the contraption. Absolutely. At that point, you might as well put a real keyboard in. You know. So. Uh, John Laurie says three characters. O S three. Yeah, there you go. Sixty eight three version. It'd probably be more like RTOS because the sixty eight three doesn't have some of the uh, register mode support that made multitasking is so easy to implement on the 6809. Uh, but it wouldn't be impossible. I mean, RTOS was written for the 6800, which is what the 6803 is based off of. So. Yeah, come on. You're just being a wimp. Come on. Well, I am, but <laughs> I was trying to make it sound technical so I didn't sound so wimpy. Uh, well, technically. Well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> actually, speaking of technically, uh, I have to give a shout-out to Jason there because he won the bingo, the David Ladd bingo today. He called out the TTL reference earlier on here, so he's the yes. winner today. <laughs> yeah. Hold your cards. Bingo's been called. You owe me some money. <laughs> uh, next up, yet another MC10 one. This one is cool. This this is one I'm quite interested in seeing what people can do with. So Greg Dion apparently has been working on a micro color basic cross compiler for the MC10. So it'll take basic code and convert it to 603 semi language. You run this hosted on a, on a PC. And he's actually released his first version of it for the public. Now, this doesn't fully implement. There's some instructions that are missing from basic but a good majority of them are there it doesn't support any of the new stuff like the sdx you know uh 128 or the sdx 32 or any of the you know extended basic functions but you can go download it and uh, some people requesting could they get versions of it pre-compiled so he does have a link that you can go download actually i think somebody else made the link but there's a link for windows 10 for example that you can actually download the complete compiler package ready to go because this you know involves cross compilers and some other things well, one of the more interesting things about it, aside from the fact that it's actually a compiler, is that James Ross actually did a test of it. And um, so he did this little standard program. Basically, it's just, you can see the code on the left, the result on the right. So basically, pokes every possible VDG value yeah. twice onto the screen. And what he mentioned is that in plain basic, and we know the microcolor basics a little bit faster than the Coco 1 2 one. It took about four and a half seconds to draw that screen. After compiling it, it took between 0.1 and 0.2 seconds. Wow. So that's a huge speed game. <clears throat> so now some people are mentioning the comments, hmm, maybe I should try writing a basic game for them, MC10, within the restrictions of not every single command supported, but right. the majority are, and see what you can come up with. Because, I mean, one thing we don't really have on the MC10 is too many people that are programming assembly language games. We have a couple. We have, what's that one, Stevie, that you actually really like? That I shoot? don't remember his name, but the game was sucks. Shoot up, kill stuff. Right. I don't remember the author's name off the top of my head. And we've had a few others, like there's yeah. been ports of Space Assault. and Yeah, know, Darren Atkins himself has done a few. There's um, there's a great Pac-Man for the MC-10. Yep. Yes. Yep. Lost Valley Pinball, which is the first ML game that Tandy itself sold. 
But if you can write it in basic, and this does support the 16K RAM expansion, so you could write a 20K game, um, and then you compile it on the PC and then just transfer the bin over to the, the tape or the SDX or whatever, I would like to see what some people could do with that because if it's running, you know, at this scale of speed right, increase, and so the takeaway like from this, yeah, times faster. The takeaway from this is you're not having to use that crappy MC10 keyboard to do the coding either. <laughs> you can type it up on a real keyboard, compile it, and then run it on the MC10. So um, yeah, now I do know I was following Jim Gary actually tried compiling some of his programs on it, and he was getting issues with certain ones, like part of the program would run, part of it would not. And this is a work in progress; he's still doing updates to it. Mm-hmm. But now that he's got, you know, just released it for the first time to the public just this last week, and he's got multiple people, including Jim, James, Greg, Dion, a few others uh, are involved with it. I'm guessing that the bugs will get fixed fairly quickly, and he actually has been responding to a few of them ready. And uh, I think we'll see a, a deluge of either new games or even Jim Gary taking some of his older, slower games that weren't you know, quite up to speed or aid to take shortcuts in the programming to get around it. I think you'll see a whole new software library with a much better quality style game coming out shortly. So I'm definitely keeping an eye on, on what happens with this project. And this is the actual link to his GitHub with the examples and source code. I remember a while ago, maybe it was a year or two ago, but I remember John Linville was starting to do something like this, like an implementation of Tiny Basic yeah. that would compile to the MC10. <laughs> I don't know how far he got with that. But the difference there is that the Tiny Basic is a basic that, say, doesn't support graphics and sound, for example. Okay. It's, it's meant as a very small basic compiler. We used to have that on the Cocoa 2. Artvark used to sell the Tiny Basic compiler back in the early 80s. And it did like you know 20 core instructions of basic, like poke and peek and fornex loops and that kind of thing. Um, supported integers. This year is actually taking the actual microcolor basic you're used to programming in now right. and letting you just straight translate that. Now, here's a list of some of the stuff that's not implemented. So, scientific e-notation is not yet supported. Darren Atkinson's MCC basic ROM with all the extensions not supported. These particular commands here, like so saving and loading arrays and a lot of the, uh, the floating point geometric type stuff is not supported yet. Though he's planning on doing that stuff here, but uh, the majority, except reset, the sound command, like the stuff that tiny compilers generally do not support, is there. So once he gets a couple of these bugs worked out, I mean, I don't think a lot of the you know standard games like his Load Runner clone or anything else are going to use you know square roots or anything right. like that. So I don't think that'll be as much of a hit compatibility wise, and he is planning on eventually implementing those too. So. Uh, this yeah, has def- given me some inspiration to maybe try to redo my text cosmic aliens. Yeah, if you got uh, that thing running twenty to forty times faster, you can yeah. do some pretty wicked stuff from there. Yeah, and I think Ron Dove was getting ready to ask a question. Ron, were you oh, going to say something a minute ago? Well, um, is it 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 had um, somebody put the uh, Coco VGA on it, right? Yeah. So yeah. it had forty columns, and could it have eighty columns and some sometime with some other? I think the Coco VJ went up to 64. Yeah, it's 64 by 32. It's basically oh. two times as wide and two times as tall. Okay, but no 80 columns. In the no. Co- okay. no, it's, a, it's 64 by 32, which actually has more text on the screen than 80 by 25 in the Coco 3 does. Just not quite as wide. Yeah, this opens up some uh, possibilities. And actually, this is something we don't really have a compiler like this for the Coco yet. I would love to see that implemented. Right, there's been a few. There's been the uh, C Basic, and there's a few that work sort of ish. Again, you have to work with them. But those were native on the Coco too, so it took a while. Oh, you had to run them on the Coco. So an external cross compiler that that compiles Basic to assembly. 
Yeah, because one of the, the restrictions on the, the ones that we did have, we had some for the Cocoa 1 and 2, and then we had some ones for the Cocoa 3 as well, is that you had to change the syntax for certain commands, like the circle command was never done the same way as it is in basic, because you had the overhead of trying to convert it to run with integers versus floating point, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there were some shortcuts taken. Also, the fact that you had memory restrictions, you couldn't go just whole hog and go nuts to optimize. Whereas on a cross-compile like this, those limitations are gone. Which is why I think he's getting twenty to forty times the speed increase on, on standard. Programs. Right, the heavy lifting's not having to be done on the eight bit CPU. Exactly. Yeah. So I think if somebody took this and kind of ran with it on the Coco side and went full throttle Coco three or or you know ADOS three extended or something like that, you could do some pretty cool stuff in there too. And obviously, there's a core here with source code available for the MicroColor Basic, which syntactically is very close to what Color Basic is. So. Interesting somebody tackle that as a project. It won't be me. Okay. Uh, now we switch over to the dragon side of things again. Uh, so the first one here is from Jim Fuller. This is a, a bit of an interesting one. So this is a talking about retrobriting. And this is from a person that um, is actually, ironically enough, from a retro typewriter group, talking about the plastics on some of the typewriters from the 50s and 60s. And I know a lot of people have said that... Uh, you know, retrobiting sometimes is a bit temporary on you know fixing the colors from that yellowed plastic to the white. But now their community's actually been working on doing typewriters from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. So they've been working with plastics a lot longer than the co- the computer side of things, which has started basically the late 70s, early 80s. And he's mentioning, and he's actually been supposedly trained. He was a former museum artifact conservator with academic training on the conservation of thermoplastics. So he goes into a fairly technical explanation of you know bromides and blah blah blah. Basically saying that while it would look good as a temporary fix, you are weakening the plastic. And if you want stuff to last for decades as opposed to just years, you might be damaging the plastics permanently by doing retrobriting hmm. as far as long term goes. Now, that we'll leave it up to the user. Now, that he did mention and some other people have come and mentioned that the plastics, what composes the plastics in the 70s and 80s is a bit different than the stuff that was used on the typewriter cases back in the day. So it may be not as applicable, but we're not sure. We haven't had any of those around for right. 70 years yet to find out. And the ironic thing was this guy has his own Facebook group, um, if you're interested in this kind of thing. But he's actually from here, where I am. He's uh, from the Rebel Typewriter Workshop, which is the name of his Facebook page, and he's in Saskatoon. I've never heard of the guy before. So. Wow. Just kind of an interesting uh, side note there. But yeah, for the Probably people that have been you know, working on retrobiting or thinking about doing retrobiting, you can read this. I'll let you make your own determination whether you think it's applicable or not, or if it's something that you should be warned about. This um, cocoa next to me was yellow, and it's yeah. been over a year, and it's still white. Yeah, well, he's talking like decades later is when they're starting oh. to notice the plastics actually start to basically disintegrate, is what he quoted as when he did the typewriting stuff. Because they did this type of stuff back in the 60s on the typewriters, and now those those typewriter cases in the 60s are literally starting to fall apart. Like crumble. So is that going to happen to your cocoa case in 30, 40 years down the road? I don't know. Report back in on that, Ron, when, when we get there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Mark your calendar. <laughs> get back to us. <laughs> I'm hoping to make it in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, also from the Dragon Group and Unum Lapis. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. So he was asking if anybody tried this RGB to HDMI board together with the Dragon. It's uh, meant to be an analog board for converting signals from various older systems. And they list a bunch here, the Amstrad, this 48K Spectrum, Spectrum 2A3, ZX8081. Uh, the Dragon requires p- signals picked up internally, Tandy Coco, same thing, and then also going to Apple IIs, etc. Um, 
and basically he was asking if anybody could actually give it a shot and some people actually did because there was some speculation like would it work with NTSC colors you know for a pal based system depending on how the board works hadn't got an answer to that yet but he did do a screenshot of the text and this is pretty damn clear text for coming Absolutely. out of a straight dragon like that's Coco VGA level almost mm-hmm. like it's a pure signal so if that actually does artifacting on top of that, that's a pretty nice little upgrade for doing capture and stuff or putting it onto a big HDMI TV. It's gorgeous. Next. Now, this is a channel I've not seen before, <clears throat> and this was mentioned on the Facebook. Uh, what was it? The All Things Tandy Radio Shack Group Facebook page. And he did a, a basically a tutorial, a 15-minute tutorial on introduction to binary arithmetic. So it shows you how binary works versus decimal, and then it shows you how to do adds and subtracts, etc. But to actually do the teaching here, he's actually using the Cocoa as his base. When I decided I was going to do a video on binary, I thought back to how I learned binary as a child, and how I learned programming in general, in fact. When I was just five years old, my parents bought for me a programmable computer, which in 1984 was unusual. That computer was one of these. Coco 2. This is the Tandy TRS-80 Color Computer 2. This became known as the Coco by its fans later because of it being a color computer. Now the TRS-80 came with a programming manual, and it was this one. Getting started with Color Basic. And it features this kind of uh, cartoon character computer on the side here. Now in the book they don't name this character, but I decided to call him Coco after the pet name for the computer. I guess you could say that Coco was my mentor. Wait a second. (laughs) How is that happening? (laughs) Hi, my name is Coco. Today, I'm going to teach you all about binary. You'll learn how to convert numbers from decimal to binary and back again. And you'll learn how to do addition. Is this like the guy in Jurassic Park that comes out that explains how the DNA turns into dinosaurs? Decimal anymore. Didn't I just you suggest this last week, do you remember? Decimal has ten the guy I made called numerals. Oh, yeah. I just thought it was cool. I mean, he's doing an introduction by me. He picked the Coco, which I saw when I first started the video. But then all of a sudden, he's got this animated Coco actually doing the lesson, which is really cool. Yeah. I have so, no idea how he's, he's got that. some skills that I don't have. Yes. That would be interesting to do the whole basic book and animated like this. You have video, video version of it. Yeah. Yeah, we could actually just create the character and use Steve's voiceover. Uh, oh, God, you don't want to do that. Uh, I'm going to use David Ladd for that. Where's the... You fixed uh, help. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's it's a pretty good introduction to Binary for those that don't understand how it works. Um, and the fact that it actually has a Cocoa and an animated Cocoa with that actually yes. the lesson teaching is a really cool We need to reach thing. out to this guy. we got to get him on. I want to talk uh, to this absolutely. guy. Absolutely. That's just Rondo like when you have lunch with him. Yeah. That's just like with the guy with the cowboy hat at VCF West. So we got to yeah. talk to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't know if this was inspired by this or not, but I do know one of the people in the Amigos group, um, uh, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but she uh, she does a Macintosh uh, YouTube channel, and, has, and she has an animated Macintosh called Mackie that sits there and talks, and she interacts with it, you know, on, on the screen. So she's actually talking to this animated Mac beside her when she's doing stuff. And it's not teaching programming, per se, but it's just teaching about the Mac and, and stuff. So I don't know if it was inspired by that, but it's kind of nice. We have our own Cocoa equivalent to it as well now. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we definitely should get a hold so, of it. So, you know, and I've spent probably 
13 years teaching this for my um, networking classes and my Cisco classes because this is what IP protocol is based on is, you know, four quadrants of 8-bit binary. So I've been teaching binary to decimal conversions on a whiteboard for for a decade. And so – and I've always tried to find ways to do it visually. Um, this this would be a great tool for that too. Yeah. All at Coco Street. Yeah, right? So Amiga's Retro Gaming pointed out that Macintosh Librarian is her name if you want to check out her YouTube channel, which is, is doing a similar type of presentation. Um, I was going to try to mention her real name, give her a shout-out, but I, I can't remember what that is. So if, if Aaron or Bo, whoever's on the account right now, wants to let me know if, if she wants to reveal, I have no idea. I just want to give her a shout-out because that's, that's the first time I've seen that kind of animation yeah, on a retro computer. That is neat. That's thing, neat. So. Next up, I don't know if uh, Alan from eight, AC's 8-Bits is actually on the chat at the moment. Kate Fox, that's her real name. Yes, thank you. And so big shout-out to her for doing that on the Mount Macintosh side. So at any rate, um, he does the video basically to show how to convert a, tan, or a PC Junior craft joystick to run as a Coco. Now, I thought that would just involve cutting the connector off and just changing it from, was it an 8-pin square thing to the 6-pin dim? But actually, there's a bit more involved. There's some extra resistors and stuff on the PC's version that is not on the Coco. He's out there. Coco one two three. He said hi. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Alan, if you get well, a chance so to jump on, everything I jump say that's on. wrong here, he can correct me. Yeah, on. that's awesome. Yeah, Rick Yulin did a write up on this for the newsletter maybe two at two issues ago. Yeah, and then of course you got a little bit sidetracked, like I'm prone to undoing, as you I probably just demonstrated. Because he has wow. this Coco two B here, so he mentions the fact that he's actually got the six eight forty seven T one chip. And it's also got all the different options for doing memory upgrades. You've got the two chips in the middle there that you can swap between the 4460, 4416s and the 4464s, or you have the little satellite board thing, or you can actually solder in the sockets or the chips directly under the board for the all eight of the original 4164 chips. So this is a Coco that actually had three RAM upgrade options. This is wow. right when the whole RAM was going super expensive crap was starting to happen, so they, they wanted to keep their options open where the 4464 is going to be available enough, where they're going to be cheap enough. Because Tandy, of course, you know, the dollar was the ultimate deciding point. So he goes through and kind of explains the different upgrades, and then he does a quick test to show you how to test for the uh, lowercase chip here. A couple of pokes, you can see it changes the border color. It actually does the proper lowercase, and you can switch it back to the regular mode. Um, and then he goes into the craft joystick stuff here, where he's kind of going through the differences between the two. And then also he ends up rewiring it because the wire colors are all different between the craft version for what wire does what compared to the Coco since he wanted them to be consistent for debugging later. He also showed out he fixed one of the rotator arms on his Tandy Deluxe joystick that had broken literally in half. So he just literally glued it back together and then it worked fine. And we and have 3D goes, printed arms for that too that David Ladd has been working yeah, on. Yeah. Like if it's broken, it's something where you can easily glue it together. Yeah. There he's letting the magic letting smoke Letting the magic smoke out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Poof. Love the smell of solder. There's that's smell not magic smoke. Smoking. That's solder smoke. Solder smoke. Ma- magic smoke is what makes the uh, you know the semiconductors and like chips and whatnot run. Yeah. Apparently I should be casting spells at this point because every time I try to solder I always let out the magic smoke. But <laughs> And and you and you solder your hair. Yeah, there's more magic smoke there too. Um it's called premature graying, I think is what it's called. But um <laughs> So he's running a little test program that checks to make sure the button works. Um, one thing he'd mentioned on the video, and I, I give him a comment on the YouTube video, is that he mentions that the Coco doesn't support the second button. Not entirely true. The Coco 3 supports the second button on the Coco 1 and 2. That pin's not 
connected. It's there, but it's not connected. On the Cocoa 3, it is. So. And then as part of his testing, he also uh, showed the uh, diagnostic ROM uh, cartridge that Tandy sold, which I think was originally set up for 16K maximum. I think there was a second version that did expand that a little bit. But he does the joystick test there where you actually have both joysticks. One controls the blue, one controls the red, and you can make sure you can hit the corners and you know it doesn't jump all over the place or anything like that. So we tested both the joysticks out that he had there, and they're both working fine. So the arm fix on the Tandy worked, and uh, the changing around of the connector, etc., for the IBM Craft one worked as well. And it's a good video. It's about half an hour. And he's in chat, so if you have any questions, uh, you can steer them towards him because he knows a lot more about this than I do. <clears throat> the next one here is a YouTube video of a dragon restoration. So we got this dragon, and you can see in the upper right corner here all the discoloration because some of the caps have leaked. It's got corrosion around the screws that actually hold the power supply board into the case. So this was a pretty pretty uh, sad state here. So we had definitely had to do some cap replacements, etc., And he goes in quite a, quite a bit of detail, <clears throat> and he actually tries to scrub it. Now, we found there's some corrosion on the board itself, but it was all surface stuff, like the connections are still good, so we just kind of cleaned it up so it didn't look as bad. And then he starts desoldering the capacitors and replacing the capacitors that are all bad in there. Uh, then he goes into clear, clean, cleaning the case itself, where you can see some of the damage from the leaking capacitors here. Wow. It's like battery acid. Yeah. And then he goes through and he cleans the keyboard out too with a little key puller, etc. I don't know. I had a horror story placing a keyboard in a Lenovo last night that had 10,000 micro screws behind each freaking key. <laughs> oh my god, don't get me into <laughs> keyboards right now. <laughs> and then he after finishing cleaning it up, he reassembles it. You can see how well he did in the case here. Yeah, That's nice and clean. And he also he had a replacement uh, dragon label because the old one was a little bit screwed up. So he pulled that off and he got one of the replacements and glued it on. Nice. And then he went and cleaned up the joysticks. He actually had Tandy joysticks. These were actually, you know, the Black Beauties. He didn't have the actual dragon joysticks. And then he decides to give it a test. I'll just play a little bit of the tail end here. Just so. um, I've included the link to Retro Computer Shack in the description. And we are done. It's a nice looking machine. For the moment at least. Let's yeah, much cleaned up from the original and, and, and fixed so it runs properly. Dragon. So, unfortunately, the Dragon doesn't like my AV to HDMI converter, which then goes into my capture card and then to the monitor. There's a lot of uh, rapid screen flicker. And this this is related to what we talked about last week, Stevie, where the Coco and Dragon doesn't drive the composite or the RF signal quite the right Right, right. <laughs> so a lot of these capture cards have problems with it. Now, he did eventually get it working. That's yeah, cleaner. Some, That's cleaner, but you can still uh, see some so kind of anomalies yeah, we'll, on the border. We'll look into this further later on. I wonder uh, if it's the VDG. Actual real tape loading. Um, it's either that or the, the clock crystal that times it, because I think it's a little bit out of spec. Mm. I mean, it helps drive the entire machine. All the clocks are based on that crystal. Hmm. And this is the uh, TZX, TZX. Do we know? Is this the same one we were talking about earlier, David Ladd? Is he still in the call? So he mentioned it was a Castuino, so a cassette Arduino loader. Oh, okay. As they usually give me errors due to their age and previous conditions they were kept in. Instead, I use my trusty TZX Arduino tape loader, 
which currently has the Maxduino firmware installed on it. Basically this allows you to load cassette tape images from an SD card. So just to test out that makes everything load, works, he loads in... Uh, wait for the game to load. Chucky Egg! Let's get the you can even hear it. The sweet, sweet sound. Sweet, sweet sounds of loading tape. Hey, Paul yeah, Shoemaker's out there. With the keyboard. Uh, yeah. The keyboard's a bit clunky to control. But, and you can see some uh, of the glitching yeah, he's getting out of his yeah. device from what we were discussing earlier. It was really cool. He actually uh, he tried a couple different games just to test just out things. Here's that darts game I think we showed a long time ago. Yeah. And this is probably with three or four hours. Paul, we, let's well let Paul Shoemaker know. We've changed the Zoom link. If you want to reach out in the Discord and send a message, hopefully somebody can get back to you with the updated Zoom link. Yeah. So it was pretty yeah. good. He actually went through the entire process of figuring out what was wrong with it, fixing it, cleaning it, etc., testing it, etc., too. So it's a, it a pretty good video. And not from somebody I've heard of. It's a channel called Retro Gaming Banter. Um. So I'm going to keep an idea if he does anything further with the Dragon, because he's, he's covered multiple other retro machines as well, <clears throat> Ataris, et cetera. So. Next up, this is from Sloopy, <clears throat> who's in our Discord, of course, and on the call. So he put a link to a new Facebook group um, that might be interesting to Cocoa owners, as he put it. It's called the Vintage Programming, Vintage Computer Programming for Beginners Group. So this is meant for people with vintage computers or vintage computer emulators to learn how to program them, but from the point of view of a beginner. So not somebody that, you know, used it back in the day and is kind of relearning it, but somebody that's starting from fresh. Now, I haven't had a chance to go through to see if there's any much posts in there so far at this point, or if they're sticking with certain machines, or if they're doing very generic basic that works on everything, like the old creative computing books used to do. Sloopy, if you're still on, uh, do you know exactly what the focus is or how they're doing so far? I know a guy who did a series on YouTube about programming the Coco and Basic going by the book, which was designed. Yeah, but he for didn't have animated Cocos in it. So I don't know that is true. That is oh. completely true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the bar the bar has been set. There was no bar. Now the bar is extremely high. So. Uh, I guess Sleepy's not on the call then. Okay. Okay. That would be an interesting group to uh, just kind of be a fly on the wall, too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, because it's generic to all retro computers, I mean, it might not be too Coke or Dragon specific or MC10, but it might be nice to just learn the basics because a lot of those were Microsoft basics, so a lot of them have some commonality between yeah. them. That, yeah, that, you can apply uh, to a pet, to a Commodore. Yeah, to that adventure game book I got, it mentions that, that yeah. it's designed for a generic Microsoft-esque basic so that's why I wanted to ask Sloopy because he's the one who brought it up. I don't know if they have the focus on having it generic so that it works on everything or if they're just allowing any retro and then you can go specifically down that rabbit hole for what that machine specifically could do. Okay. Well, if he ever comes back, we'll ax him. We can reach out to him on Discord. Yeah. Now, this is a, a, well, a little bit of a sad note, a little bit of a happy note combined. Uh, ben Drakes was on our show last week, uh, the virtual reality guy. And he mentioned that his neighbor was Richard Wald Wadman, who is the former sales and marketing director at Dragon Data, one of the designers, the original designers of the Dragon 32. And we watched a little clip of the video. So he was his next door neighbor, got to know him. He passed away from COVID. And now he's been able to get some of the mementos that were his um, after his passing. And he had promised us last week he was going to try to get some photos up. So I thought we can go through some of these here. I don't know if he's in the chat to kind of highlight things but uh, yeah, like a business card 
business cards, one of the uh, newspaper articles talking, because that first Christmas when the dragon was out, they were you know, literally selling out. I mean, they were having trouble keeping up with the manufacturing. It's like trying to get a PS5 now. And he's got so many honorariums after his name, or BSC, Hans, MIS, FRSS, MBPS, which I don't even know what half of those are. So you can tell I'm not educated. Yeah, yeah, Ben is out there. And Ben, if you want to hop on again, same Zoom link as last week, if you want to jump on. Um, yeah, no, that's neat. And I'm assuming these other Panorama office systems and Touchmaster are the later businesses he went to after Dragon right. and it folded. Mm-hmm. Okay, neat shirt. Dragon. It looks like almost like a baby shirt. Yeah. Uh, like a little onesie or something. Okay, yeah. Dragon, dragon magic. magic. Okay, that's neat. A little fuzzy Dragon uh, doohickey. Yeah, I don't remember Tandy ever doing something like this. Do you? Uh, spoiler alert, probably because it would have cost money. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of whimsical, but it's cool. Yeah, little googly eyes. Reminds me of the old troll figures, you know, little fuzzy hair stuff. Yeah. <laughs> There's the newspaper. And he mentioned that he mentioned one of the guys from China came over. Yeah. yeah. Ambassador of the People's Republic of China. That's impressive. Factory. That is absolutely impressive. Then, uh, yeah, usually it's like uh, overseas takes manufacturing to new levels, but when overseas comes to another continent to learn about a manufacturing process, that's a huge uh, accolade right there, you know? Yeah, and it mentions in the article text here, it was the new ambassador's first visit to Wales, and he specifically asked to see new industries here. And then, you know, Richard Wadman's here actually showing him stuff, and they mentioned that the Dragon was one of Britain's fastest-growing computer firms at this time. So they had this huge explosion where they got hugely popular over a two-year period, and then they kind of went yeah. the other way. That's neat. That's, one of That's picture. a picture of him from more recent times. And that's the uh, that's the photos he put up for the... Uh, yeah, the beginning of some archiving and sharing. Thank you, yeah. Ben, for doing that. He... Yeah, it's, it's nice to get this history down before it disappears. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the last one here is a self-plug, so Nitrous 9, ease of use. Boring. <laughs> 601 is now available, so uh, basically this is a maintenance release. Uh, there's been some bug reports. Uh, there's a few that Bill and I knew of even before we released it, but we did want to get it out for Christmas, especially for that Christmas to New Year's when everybody was, or most people had time off. Um, so there's been a ton of uh, bug reports from various people. I can't even mention them all here. Um, I didn't even mention them all in this little text here. You'll actually have to read the docs that come with it. But I just want to give it, this is the first release well, 6 and 601 both. The first release, we had a lot of input from the community beyond Bill and me. Um, so Ed Jackway, we fixed the bugs in the Emudis drivers so that MAME and VCC and OVCC can now run reliably the second hard drive because if every once in a while it would start screwing up and stuff, do some bugs in the driver. Uh, Bill Pierce sent a whole whack load of documentation for some of the programs in there. They're now in the DD docs. I think about 20 programs that I didn't have documentation for. Joanne Donaldson, I'd mentioned earlier, has been doing all these questions on the C compiler. Actually, while using it, found I had a typo in the standard lib header file. Uh, Jeff Dennison, who did the DCC C compiler, which is his new version that is a bit faster, can handle bigger size programs. He actually did some further updates on that. So it's a lot more, less, or a lot less memory restricted, balancing between stack space and the actual symbol table. Uh, David Ladd, who, if he's still on the call here, he sent me his new version of the format command because we had two before. We had regular format for formatting floppies and, and hard drives, and we had the format 20 specifically to do 20 sector per track floppies so you could fit more on a real floppy drive if you needed to. 
And uh, David actually merged the two together, so he only needed one, and I didn't even know he'd done that, so that's now included. Uh, William Carlin sent in a new call program, which I'll leave for the documentation. William Major, if you've been following from last week, uh, released a patch to the Sierra games to allow you to abort the music without having to wait for the whole darn song to play. This is the second version of that, because the first one just had the space bar. Now, there was a couple issues. Uh, the original one would then take some keys if you held the key down too long and you know, throw them in the keyboard buffer after you aborted the music. So all of a sudden, if you're typing something, you'd have a ton of spaces and you'd start thinking you're trying to enter commands. So he's changed it to be the break key and to eat the keyboard, like clean the keyboard buffer out. So now you don't get the stray typing when you break the music. So many thanks to him. Uh, Fred Provencia uh, actually did a complete rework control program. Now, the problem with the original control program well, there's two problems. Uh, Fred, as Fred pointed out, it looks dated. It was written in 1986-87, so it looked like a really primitive you know, Mac app or something, or Windows 1 or something like that. So he made it look a, lot, a little bit more professional. But we also had a problem that we've expanded the environment file with a bunch of other system settings that you can do. And the way it, the original control program was written, it would try to buffer the whole thing in, and it would just chop the file off when you told it, told it to write it back out. So basically, you would lose some of the settings you just tried to change. So that's been completely fixed now as well. And uh, he's also got a new presets themes thing. He, I think he's got 16 themes built in now, different color schemes where you can just, you know, preset, preload them in and you get a whole bunch. Like we put alternate color sets as PDFs. You know, here's the settings if you want to try these four. He's added a whole bunch more and you don't type them in anymore. You just hit presets. It gives you the names of them all. And then you just, you know, pick one and you, you throw it on. So a uh, big, big thank you to him because he's been working on that for a couple of months now. He's been asking me and Bill questions, et cetera. And we've been testing it for a little while. It's, there's probably a few more tweaks we'll be doing to it, but basically it's, it's functioning fine now. No longer corrupts your environment file. And then Bill and I did a bunch of other fixes and additions. There's like a, another drive wire boot option in the swap boot that allows you to boot off the S232 pack instead of the Bitbanger. The Bitbanger printer driver is now installed on the emulators and the STC versions by default because we had quite few requests for that um what else did we do there uh, i can't remember there's like 20 things that are updated and fixed up so anyway they're available for download immediately i actually put them up uh early this morning uh we've got the gimme x and the regular coco and the 689 versions all available immediately if you have a coco pie if you use the update on that that version should be ready as well to go immediately uh i think bill's just got to do the matchbox update which we should get out in the next few days uh, to catch that version up too. So, I just um, updated my Cocoa Pie and I just pulled down the latest EOU beta, but I haven't booted it to see what version it is. So I'll, I'll let you know what's there. But there is a menu option that will always let you pull the latest one too. Okay, I'm going to grab, because I know I'd sent Nick Mirandis a couple of screenshots of what the new control panel looks like just to show people what it looks like because that's probably the biggest... Update. I'm just going to grab one. I'll throw it onto the browser here so you guys can see it. If I can Everybody loves thing. seeing control panels. Oh, yeah. I mean, what other purpose of life is there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> so I've got a couple color schemes to choose from here. So I've got, there's like a... We're not seeing it yet. No, I, I haven't put it on there yet. Oh, I'll okay. just do two. I'll do two of them here. Let me just shift this. We're able to drag these out. We can't see something you haven't put up there yet. Yeah, imagine that. I don't know why. It's easy if you try. Yeah, while we're young, Curtis. Okay, here we go. Oh, that's nice. It's kind of rosy. Yeah, I think I can't remember which which, which preset that was. You'll have to go through the presets and Okay. That's interesting. That's not one I probably would have tried 
on my own, but now that I see it, it's kind of cool. It's different than the kind of teal blue scheme, you know? Yeah. Speaking of. It loads. Whoops. So that's to show the difference between the 40 column and the 80 column version of it, too. So it basically runs in 40 column. So on an 80 column screen, it just takes the left half. And here's one I'm running on the 40 column screen so you can see the whole thing. But you can see these are little press buttons. You can see under palette, the G shell buttons press down. So you're editing the G shell specific four palettes. If you clicked on system, then it enables all 16 palettes and you can change those for the system wide and other apps will inherit those. Um, I will be adding something later on so you can actually specify if you launch an app, you know, does it want to use the G shell palettes if it does use multi-view style menuing or just use system palettes if it's a standard app. Um, but you can see the preset button there as well. And that'll bring up a pop-up menu of all the presets there and you can add your own. So feel free. Uh, they actually get named and then you can set all 16 color palettes. The sliders are now gone f- uh, a little bit differently for these colors. You can see the RGB columns there, and then it says slot zero in the lower right corner. So right now we're editing palette zero. And the highlighted ones, the zero under R, zero under G, one under B, it tells you what the current settings are. So we've got no red, no green, and the darkest blue. Um, yeah, it, just, it, it looks a bit more modern. He has the gray shading out of the palettes you can't select because the G shell system palette system for G shell itself that only uses the first four. So you'll know that you're editing yet a quick thing and you can save them, you know, as you go, etc. Um, no, it looks, it looks pretty good. And he did a lot of work on this. It was his first major project in C he's done. Um, and it's pretty feature complete. Who actually did this? From, uh, Fred Provence. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. Provence. I'm not okay. sure if that's, and he's actually got some ideas now for some other things he wants to do on the Coco after this, this first experience of doing this because he had a fair bit of fun doing it. Neat. This is almost becoming like an open source project at this point. you got a lot of people working on well, stuff Well, it, it has been. It has been. Yeah. I mean, EOU is based on the, the open source that we released as open source to Boise yeah. and the boys back in, in the day. But I mean, and like actually having, and... having multiple contributors working <laughs> actively yeah, I mean, like on Jeff the project. Yeah, I mean, like Jeff on the C compiler and, and yeah. Fred here and, and you know a bunch of others. I mean, like I said, I didn't even list on the web page all the updates if you read the actual updates there's even more contributions and more updates that have been done too so there's some speed ups there's bug fixes there's all kinds of stuff so anyway it's available immediately so anybody wants to uh, go get it uh, a bit of a reminder that if you've done some settings changes yourself you want to keep copy those off your hard drive image before you download because it replaces the hard drive image which is one of the reasons we have h1 oh another thing i should mention the sdc2 program that bill wrote to make it a bit more user-friendly for mounting SDC images on there. And then it does appear to be fixed. I've been using it a fair bit lately. So now you just type in SDC2 mount slash H1 space, and then the name of the file that you want to link off your FTC card, and done. And that is the news. That is the news. And there is no news, like no news or something. Um... Okay, cool. Well, we're going to take a uh, a commercial break, and then we'll be back with project updates, acquisitions, other things that we want to share and show and tell, and random discussions, you name it, what have you. But how about everybody loves Fletcher. How about we take a little commercial break featuring everyone's favorite person who will go far, Fletcher, and we'll return to more Coco Talk after these words. After these messages, we'll be right back. Fletcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. Great, JT. I need it tonight. 
But, J.T. Fletcher saved $300 on her office away from the office. Radio Shack's revolutionary Model 100 computer. It's a word processor, phone directory, and dialer. It even communicates with the office computer. Fletcher, how's that report? Fletcher. Radio Shack's Model 100. Save $300 and put it to work. You'll go far, Fletcher. <laughs> You'll go far. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. On holidays, Uncle JT would entertain us with stories of his business conquests and his assistant who would meet any deadline that he imposed, no matter how ridiculous. Well, until she shot him in the face, that is. Hi, this is the award-winning Alan Huffman of Subbie the Software, and you're watching Stevie Fall Off Cliffs. What's going on, guys? Stevie Stroh here, and I want to say thank you so much for being part of this adventure with us. It's been such a great experience in doing Coco Talk every week, and the support we get is just amazing. And so the fact that you watch and listen is all the reward that we need. However, if you would like to become a patron of the show and offer some financial assistance towards the production and hosting costs of the show, we do have a Patreon site available for that, and you can reach that by going to our website at cocotalk.live and clicking on the Patreon link. But just do us a favor and watch and listen to the show. This is not the Joey Serial Switch. This is the Joey Serial Switch. Control up to three serial devices. Order yours today at CocoMan.biz. Radio Shack, America's technology store. This Christmas, Tandy has a very special offer. A family color computer pack to take away at a very special price. This family computer comes complete with software and costs an incredible $449, a saving of $241.69. It's powerful, educational, and ideal for the young and young at heart. The easy way to start computing. The color computer family pack from Tandy. Get it while it's hot. Tandy, the biggest electronic store in Australia. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tim. Playing Daggerith like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk. <laughs> All right, and we're back with everyone's favorite show, and we're getting ready to get into everyone's favorite part of the show. And that is it the is, end? Uh, the end. We're getting close to the end. But this is a segment, and we, and as mentioned, we don't have uh, music for this. We don't have a title card or infographic, but it is kind of its own segment. But updates and acquisitions. This is where we ask people, well, what you've been working on? Have you worked on anything this week in the retro hobby? And if they are, they'll let us know. Did you get anything? Did you buy something on eBay? Did you buy something from one of our vendors? Did you get something in the mail? You know, so we go around and we talk about those kind of things. If you're working on a new game or a new project, we want to hear about that. So we got a few people. People that we're going to get to right away. Thank you. Yes, you're too kind. And, and thank you. one of those is going to be um, one of the uh, foremost software developers from the continent or country of um, of Australia. But that would be uh, Nicholas Marentes. 
I'm trying to figure out oh. where to spotlight you. I guess I can't spotlight you because you're not showing a video. Okay. No, no, I'm not. Um, just uh, just uh, going back to earlier on when we were talking about the Cron game, uh, the uh, game of the week, and then we started talking about, or Steve was talking about the Tron games available on uh, the PC, Tron 2. Uh, one thing I uh, wanted to say, but I thought I'd just check that this was true. Uh, did you know that John Kowalski actually did the 3D engine programming on Tron 2 for the Game Boy? Oh, wow. I, uh, yeah. I vaguely remember hearing something about him doing things on the Game Boy, but I don't remember the specifics. Yeah, I, I didn't know the specifics. That's why I didn't mention it earlier, and I just found I found the specifics. So, yeah, he did the 3D engine, which I don't know if that's b- based on his old gloom engine that he did on the Coco. I know, I know he did use the gloom engine for another Game Boy game that he did back in the day, um, but I don't know if the Tron, Tron 2 one was the same engine or a modified version of, uh, of the gloom engine. But, yeah, there we have our, our uh, great John Kowalski of the Coco World. Uh, he did the actual Tron 2 3D engine for the Game Boy. Neat. What hasn't he done is probably the question. Well, that's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jason, the Coco Man Rikard, you said you had a small update. Uh, yeah, it's a very uh, small, insignificant update, but we'll, uh, we'll do it anyway. Uh, first... Uh, I did. Uh, yeah, Sarah's workplace. They were they were they had a little bit of a uh, computer downtime, so they did some cleaning, and she brought me a couple neat things. Not exactly cocoa related, but brings me back. I, I now I'm now a proud owner of a Windows ninety eight second edition boot disk, Ooh. still sealed in the little baggie for OEM use only. It's got that new disk smell. Where's still. the CD? Where's hmm. the CD? Ah. Uh, I don't. There might be a CD in there somewhere. I, I think there may be actually. But uh, uh, there was a couple of things. But the the other highlight here is, of course, CompuServe two thousand. Ooh! I got seven hundred hours free of CompuServe two thousand. Nice. Can you grab the entire Coco library because we can get a chance to download it before? Uh, well, I got seven hundred hours free. I think it's. Uh, I wonder if it's it copyright two thousand one. It's only been twenty years. I wonder if this will still. That offer still valid. <laughs> um, and then, um, last but certainly not least, this is a Coco a Coco specific acquisition. And uh, I went ahead and uh, I didn't own any of these. I mean, I have the disc, but I, I didn't have a TND Coco cassette. Ooh. And this is number seventeen. And what is this? This is uh, November nineteen eighty three. So that is the uh, that's the. Uh, thanksgiving edition i even has a little thanksgiving has a little uh, little demo that loads up there on uh, on there but um since i have it here and uh, i know like somebody if we're going to be a professional show I'll just go ahead and play a clip let's hear it I, yeah so it's uh, got the uh but uh nice little tape here it's really it's really uh neat and there you go there's your clip. All right, there we go. I didn't have it queued up like I, I can name that program in yeah, one no. note. I heard yeah. there's a bug in line thirty though. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, Just like that one time we tried to transmit a. Uh, we did. A, we uh, did C load over the uh, over the air, and it actually yeah. worked. Somebody figured <laughs> it out. Right. Yeah. Somebody got. I think someone got the name of the file. Yes, I think that's about as yes. far as we got. But but that's all I have for this week, and who knows for how long. But 
neat little neat little thing there. I don't know. I just I, it was one of the things I picked on I picked up on eBay. It was make an offer. I made an offer and he took it. So why not? Ah, we just been joined by Boat of Car from the Amigos Retro Ooh. Gaming. Hello, Boat. Hey guys, how's it going? Good, 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 good. Um, we'll get to we'll get back to Boat in just a second and everybody else. But I believe Brian, the Music Man Shoebring, also had uh, something something he wanted to talk about. Hey, 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 yeah, this is kind of like uh, an update on uh, Control-Alt-Delete or pr- just press clear in that OS9 in that. And uh, this is something that I've done oh, back in the 90s, uh, late 90s. It's a couple of the Cocoa Fest and that and uh, whatnot. But uh, with fur- no further ado, let me switch my screen. And let's just do... A new segment called Control Alt Delete. Oh, we are booting up to Nitrous Nine. Are we rebooting oh, that is the such show an old version? Starting Windows ninety five. Hey, with Internet Explorer, excellent. My favorite browser. Virus scan in Don't. progress. Virus detected. Don't. Windows 95 is the virus. <laughs> Deleting the virus. Warning, warning. Alien computer presence detected. It's Hal. Good afternoon, gentlemen. I am a Hal 9000 computer. Trying to eliminate Hal. You're going to find that rather difficult. <laughs> Preservation modules activated. With alien life forms, ours is not to reason why, ours is but to do or become permanently deactivated. I've just picked up a fault in the AE-35 unit. Deactivated. Started. Is this all still part of the Nitrous 9 boot sequence? Does it really take yep. this long? <laughs> I thought you optimized this, Curtis. <laughs> Actually, the Windows 95 part's a bit too optimized. It went by the text too fast. <laughs> that is kind of cool. I remember doing this kind of stuff back in the day on the DOS and Win3X, having all the accoutrements boot up before you know, part of your computer. Wow, he's really getting hard to hear. What's this all about? Yeah, what is this all about? I think we need to... Uh, Hal has departed. Woo-hoo! And we're now in Nitrous 9. Uh, hopefully, Ease of Use Beta 7 will have got this boot process a little quicker. <laughs> the, the, the boot, boot <laughs> win part I, actually I is in Ease of Use. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, you added this to ease of use there. I, I don't have it. I don't have it defaulting to on because a lot of people get annoyed with it after the first two or three times because it slows down the boot. <laughs> a bit, but I couldn't imagine yeah. why. Yeah, but but of course this one's been hacked and all that. You know, now that would be a good segment. Everybody get the code and everybody create something a little bit interesting. Yeah, because yeah. the original one, Win ninety five one, where you know detects the Windows ninety five virus and deletes it so you can boot properly. Uh, I did that one, and then I took it to Rainbow Fest or Cocoa Fest, and I gave it out to a bunch of people. And then Brian actually added the whole Hell Nine Thousand sequence to it himself. So yeah, that's neat. That's like a collaboration between the two of them. 
So that's like a really lengthy auto exec bat file, right? It just keeps loading stuff up and loading <laughs> yeah, pictures yeah. and loading sound bites and stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. They're all running natively on the Cocos. I mean, that's... That yeah, no, that is impressive Cocos, so. that this was all part of a boot process. That you can all right, actually... so you can take back control there. All right. Real-time clock. <laughs> Were you ever really in control, Stevie? Uh, not yet. It's only been 50-some-odd years, one of these days. Um, all right, so that was the, the few people. We have a few more, but we have a special guest. Boat is here, John Schaller of the Amigos Retro Gaming Group. Hey, John, how you doing? Thank you for joining us. Hey guys, yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, I just thought I'd jump on. Hopefully, I can join you guys in the future. I, I always tend to tune in a little bit late because uh, I do some uh, martial arts practice on Saturday, so I'm always about an hour late tuning into the Coco Show. But I always love it. It's it's, it's become a part of my routine. You know, us, we, Aaron and I support the show through Patreon. This is just the highlight of my Saturday. Just awesome. That's so. very nice of you to say. I'm, I'm um, sorry your Saturdays are so boring, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay if you join late. We always run long anyway. Right. Exactly. Did, exactly. Did mention your checks in the mail? No. What's great is as soon as the show is over, I always just go back to the beginning and pick up the, the, the part that I, that I, that I missed. But uh, at any rate, um, you know, Aaron and I did a show called The Coco Show. We've actually done about 17 episodes of a, of a podcast that's dedicated to a, a Coco game. Um, and uh, we are getting ready to record our next episode tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, we're going to record an episode based on the uh, Pegasus and the Phantom Riders. I know this was a game on um, game a couple weeks ago as you guys were working through the Joust games. And uh, we're going to give a favorite Joust game, actually, it turned out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible that it wasn't a uh, Lancer or whatever the other one was, Buzzard, Buzzard Bait. bait. Oh, yeah, that, that substandard one. But go on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you got to anyway. go, John. It was nice seeing you. No, I'm <laughs> but anyway, if uh, if if four hours of cocoa action on Saturday isn't enough for you guys, if you want to check out uh, twitch.tv slash Amigos Retro Gaming uh, tomorrow at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, Aaron and I are going to be recording that. And also, you know, we do a, a ZX Spectrum show called Our Sinclair. We're going to be recording episodes back to back, the cocoa show, and then Our Sinclair. We're going to be talking about, um, oh, I don't it's not important. Some, yeah. some sim game on the ZX Spectrum. Well, you, you guys definitely have a lot more experience in the Twitch space, and, and I've just opened up a, a new Twitch channel just specifically for Coco Talk. So maybe mm-hmm. we can, maybe if you don't mind, maybe not offline or whatever, doing some little knowledge sharing and some tips and tricks with, with oh, yeah. Twitching. And I think there's a way where we can host each other. So I yeah, think I can absolutely. add the ability to... We definitely to, rate each other. If yeah, but I think I can host your channel. So if somebody subscribed to our channel and you guys go live, and we're not live, we, they can see what you're doing and vice versa. So if you wouldn't mind helping us there and showing me how to do that, I'd be more than happy to put you in as a featured channel and a hosted channel. Uh, I mean, sure. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that, Stevie, because uh, we will definitely host your channel too. In uh, that way, um, you know, the people that are following us whenever, you know, on Saturdays, we never do anything on Saturdays. So uh, people will tune in and see you guys for sure. Yeah, and my whole idea between because I had a Twitch channel that was always just kind of there, and I was kind of multi-streaming to Twitch just too. Mm-hmm. But I have a whole separate channel now because I don't want there to be a lot of noise pollution. Pollution. So if somebody subscribes to this Twitch slash Coco Talk, it's going to be nothing but Coco. Like if I streamed Minecraft or Assassin's Creed, it would have been on my other Twitch channel. So I want to make this you know un you know, uh, unpolluted with other non-retro things. And so it's going to be tr- truly Coco content. So um, on that feed. So uh, awesome. awesome. Yeah. 
Uh, that would be cool. Yeah. And then there's all kinds of, I know you guys do all kinds of other neat things where you're spinning the wheel of fortune. I have no idea how any of that's, I don't, I don't know that we need to get that crazy. We've got the panel of misfortune as it is right now, but, um, just some general Twitch basics would be kind of cool to glean from you guys. Absolutely. I will definitely share what I've learned so far. Yeah. Um, and while we're plugging Twitch, I'm just going to throw that out there because those are watching us right now. Let's just look at the, we have, Seven people watching us on Twitch right now, and we have 36 watching us on, on YouTube. So I do want to just stress to those guys who watch us live, make sure you have Twitch on your radar. Make sure you have Twitch bookmark. Um, right now, this is kind of a parallel or a simulcast with YouTube, but just based on some circumstances that I'm currently going through and and how, how easy it is for YouTube to basically say, yeah, we're going to revoke your ability to stream. I w- I'm having Twitch as a kind of simultaneous backup, and there may come a time where Twitch is the primary place to come see us live. So if you're, if you like Watching us live, which I believe the majority of our viewers do, make sure you are learning about what Twitch is, how to get on Twitch. You can watch it on the web. You can watch it in an app. Some smart TVs might have an app for it. Um, and just put that in your um, in your bookmark of things to be aware of because there may come a day where we're just there because whatever yeah. reason. You know, you know it's, funny, it's funny that you mentioned that because we started streaming on Twitch because we got put in the doghouse by YouTube. Um, we had the misfortune of playing a very, very small clip of the film Ghostbusters without any audio uh-huh. on a live stream. And that that tripped some sensor on YouTube. And uh, we were banned from the platform for 90 days just because yeah. of that. And, and so uh, we started streaming on Twitch and now we'll never go back. Uh, yeah, and that, We are 100% and, streaming on Twitch. Yeah, and that's kind of happened to me, not from a bot, but from a person. But same same result. I am banned from streaming for 90 days. And, and I'm in a situation now where I've been given the, you know, one of three strikes and three strikes you're out. So all it takes is a few more um, either bots or people just making any type of claim. And YouTube's going to be, okay, well, we're going to trust random person on the street versus content creator who's been here for five years and we're just going to screw them right so youtube's creator unfriendly approach i am completely disenchanted with so i am taking uh, drastic and active steps to make sure all my content is backed up and i'm looking for alternative platforms so we don't lose it because i've got five years of history of covering events and and how-to videos and interviews and 196 episodes of this show now so there's a lot of content and I don't want a platform or a person or a robot to take that away from me. So, um, you know, I'm looking for ways to make sure that that stuff remains forever for historical reasons and whatnot. So, um, cool, cool, very, very cool. Uh, I know we had a few more people who had updates and acquisitions. Who else would like to go and talk about what they're working on or what they've received recently? Anyone, anyone? I'll go quick. Okay. Uh, okay. And this is not potty time, Ron. Is that what you're talking no. about or no? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rondo Rond has uh, something he wants to share. Share the screen. And then I saw Brian Weasler raise his hand, and I think maybe Brian... David Ladd has uh, mentioned this. Okay, too. yes. Okay, can you see? We can see. Uh, yeah. garage? Okay. I have here a picture of uh, my screen. When I hook up to um, uh, S-Term, I, I get this uh, menu where I can tell that I can ping... And I pinged my uh, one of my websites, and I got um, this round trip uh, idea of what my uh, traffic back and forth was. So th- this was what uh, the IP thing did with uh, you know by pinging, you can ping. 
I thought that was cool, so I put that up for you to see. The um, the actual program looks like this. It's on COM7 on my PC. And I said it got it set at 19.2. I don't I've never really tried any other settings. It works fine. And um, I have uh, NetMate running on the Coco. And for those who don't know, tell us what NetMate is. NetMate's a communications program. So it's like it a terminal. ANSI. Yeah, it does ANSI. Full set of ANSI. Works great. Yep. Full IBM character set, all color. Yep. It's written by Roger Taylor. Right. Yep, very good. Similar to like what Sockmaster's Twilight Term did, but this one will support uh, Telnet stuff. Now, now, why would they have trouble playing this video? I don't know. Why? Because I want you to see it? Maybe. Well, maybe we'll come back to it. This here is uh, <clears throat> pretty cool. I uh, don't know if it's going to play now. I wonder if I'm having troubles. Hmm. I see a spinning wheel. Now it's going to YouTube. Yeah. And hopefully this is not copyright material that you're going to be showing us. Uh, well, then I won't. Okay. Well, I don't even know what it is yet. Okay. It's uh, it's this. Uh, Radio Shack Computer Center catalog. Ah. You go through and you see all kinds of neat things. Ah. Okay. Uh, it's different than a uh, the regular catalog. You know what I mean? Right. Hey, so do me a favor. Do a right mouse click on that link and copy it and then paste it into the Zoom chat and we'll throw it out there for people to um, to watch. We'll post it out there in our live chat so the audience can see okay. that link. Um, okay. And then paste that into That's Zoom chat. Um, All right. Then the next thing is I uh, found an old program called uh, BMP Viewer from 1992. And it does 320 by 192 by 16 color um, pictures and shows them. And uh, I ran it on VCC, and it worked. Oh, and cool. it showed the colors properly. Why, I don't know. <laughs> Have you upgraded your VCC lately? Or? Well, that, that's the latest one. But if, if you use uh, high color, it doesn't work properly. Okay. And here it is on um, my Coco 3. And then... Um, this is interesting. If you've ever seen uh, this guy, I forget. Hey, so actually, he was in the chat earlier. I don't know if he still is TGB. TGB, yeah. Chris. Yeah, an interesting uh, hookup where he hooked up his computer through OS nine to an OS nine floppies to uh, um, Apple. That was cool. You can look at that. I, I have yeah, a quick question the about the uh, about that picture that's right there. What what is that circuit board that's like inserted vertically into that box? What is that thing? This here. Yeah. That is a uh, um, RS two thirty two RS two thirty two card. I don't know whose it is. I think he says so in the video. It's Ian Maverick's RS two thirty two pack clone. There you uh, go. Okay. Okay. Just doesn't have a case. Yeah, just needs a case. So it's got the twenty five pin. Um, yeah, standard serial. Standard DB25. serial connector, DB twenty five connector. Okay. Okay, and then. Um, I typed in, or didn't type in, I went to uh, Rainbow on Disk, January 1998, and found this interesting program that I put in my um, Coco 1. And I came to find out that uh, the LET uh, instruction is a uh, extended basic instruction, so it didn't play the last one part of it. Uh, this one did because I played it on my TDP 100. It says you were born on Thursday. It won't play. It won't use that because the code 
has the word let in it so it, it didn't it played everything you know on the coco one it played everything but this hmm. <laughs> so but i, I always uh, liked uh, or wondered uh, on occasion i would go on the internet and look uh, how many days old am i you know yeah, right. hours or whatever i just thought that was interesting that is neat yeah and then uh let's see what else i got uh, yeah, that's about it. I and guess. these are all in the Ron's Garage group on Facebook. Oh, yeah. So and make uh, sure you look at that. Brian Schubring did this. He actually downloaded WeFax. Uh, I know. I know it's it's an asparagus here, but <laughs> <laughs> he actually did it, which is uh, one of the first uh, guys to have done it since I've done it. You know, and made the um, group. Don't encourage Brian Schubringer to have Nitrous Nine boot up and load WeFax while it's playing sound bites. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That sounds great. So, uh, thanks, guys. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Thank you, Rondelvo. Yeah. I believe David Ladd mentioned he has something he wants to show, and I think the two Brian's do too. Uh, Brian Weasler and uh, Mark Bosley possibly too. In, indeed, I do. And since I can't, I don't have video. I'll just share a photo. Since I have that here. And we're thankful um, that you don't have video, by the way, David. So. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, the photos are bad enough. Yes. Uh-huh. Is that working? Not yet. Hold on. It says, ooh. Ooh, a Joey high res. And he's got a yellow knob. Look at that. Nice. Uh-huh. I like that. Yep. much information there, Stevie. Um, uh-huh. Ooh. So that was my mailbag for the day. So. Okay. Which almost got missed. <laughs> well, 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 technically, it was a box. <laughs> <laughs> now, did, did you get the cassette player and the high-res or just the high-res? Yes. Yes, you got both. Yes. Well, that was yes. qu- quite the box of goodies then. Because Dave yes. was saying he didn't have an actual cassette uh, cassette Working. Deck. Yeah. Some of the uh, cassettes. So, that- David, I have a question. Are you going to turbo load from this cassette player? <laughs> well, first I have to do some adjustments to it, but then uh, after that, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, I can't wait for 88 kilohertz and compression and all kinds of goodies. <laughs> so, now there's another thing I've been working on, which um, I'm going to uh, give Simon. Um, a shout out about because he sent me some example um, assembly code for talking to the floppy controller directly. Okay. <laughs> uh, imagine that floppies and me never, um, never happens. <laughs> and so there's a feature which Curtis can attest to is the, what what's called a multi record read and write. And this is a feature where you tell it the starting sector on a track and it will read all sectors until it finds the very last sector, and that's where it stops. It just keeps reading until it's done. And at first, I thought all of my controllers didn't support that feature, and it was because of the fact that it was uh, the controller didn't like the the amount of the size of the sectors, how many I was putting on the floppy disk, and it was barfing. But so far, I've tried it with three different versions of the Radio Shack controllers, one with the Fujitsu chip, and the other two are the standard 1773s. And so far, it's worked on a real Coco. So one instruction, or one set of instructions, one command, and it reads the all the sectors on the track. 
in in that one stroke. And Simon and it, used that on his uh, Cocoa Three Gimme demo, didn't he? I have no idea about that part. Well, no, Simon was doing kind of a um, defragmenting interleave process where he was reading things consecutively versus on the different, you know, multi-pass interleave process. So he was, you know, did some type of... Yeah, I thought he used the multi-read... Oh, okay. I don't know exactly how he implemented. I know part of it was just kind of... Yeah, Yeah, it was whether he did the interleaving. An an unlinear writing process so it could be read back linearly. Yeah, um, well, in my case... Um, are you having a stroke, Stevie? Nah, yes. <laughs> so, but in my case, this has been, like, fun. Because it's like, ooh, playing with it on MAME. Because um, MAME's one of the few places I can use the Grease Weasel with. Um, and so it's like between MAME, the Grease Weasel, the real Coco, I'm, like, taking real disc images Bingo. back and forth. I just filled my <laughs> David Ladd bingo card, so. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I haven't started talking about RS-232 and the TTL and DriveWire and the ESP-8261. card, not just the line this time. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, uh, so there's some nifty stuff there. Thanks to Simon. Cool. Very cool. But that's the end of my, my rant. Okay, thank you, David. That I know Brian Weiser is going to have a bit, so maybe we'll say Brian for last. Uh, who else wanted, had a little something they wanted to show and tell? Mark Posley, anything? Oh no, you're muted, Mark. We will spotlight our backup engineer. I've got a button for that now. All right, excellent. <laughs> so uh, Christmas present came in from you, Stevie. So one, they, uh, I can get it without dropping it, Stream Deck, and I've already got and the first button I had to add to it, which, of course, if I push it, you guys won't even hear it. Well, share your sound. Share your sound so we can hear it. This is important. I like your shirt there, too, by the way. What is this sound like? Okay. The David Ladd button. <laughs> that's important any, anything the, else any other prominent the second, sound <laughs> the second button I had to put in there David Ladd <laughs> oh really yeah so and um, buried in the packaging was uh, these little items sealed goodies yes yeah, sealed goodies one of the best games of all time yeah. I'll let you decide which one's which <laughs> They're both in the top five. Absolutely. And uh, so thank you very much, Steve. Well, thank you for all that you do. And so um, that is uh, – so, yeah, the Stream Deck is a really neat device, and I ended up buying a bigger one. Uh, I have the 32-button one now because I bought that one first. So I'll just uh, – and really we need to thank the patrons for that because so what had happened was I bought a Stream Deck for myself. I used my own money. I said, I like it. This is good, but it needs more buttons. I need more cowbells. So then I took some Patreon money and I bought the bigger one. So for the price of one, we got two. And so I gave the other one to Mark Posley because he is our backup streamer and engineer and he does a lot. And the Stream Deck is a really cool toy that really helps you switch scenes in OBS and um, it can act as a soundboard because I was using a, uh, I was using a, uh, some other device like a MIDI controller for my soundboard and it just kept not working. So it was almost a running gag. Will the soundboard work today? So uh, I bought it 
as mostly a soundboard, but there's so many other cool features to it. You, every button is programmable. You can add a little LED. It's like LED screens. Each button is its own screen, and it's a trigger, and you can key that trigger to run your OBS software. And uh, Mark showed me today there's a Zoom plug-in, so if I needed to hit mute all in Zoom, I can do that for press of the button. I can switch between my commercials and the intros and the outros. So it makes like running your broadcast a heck of a lot easier. Um, so it's a really cool thing made by Elgato. It's called Stream Deck. Um, were you going to say something, Boat? Now, of those, of those 32 buttons, are how many of those are, are in use for COVID Talk? Uh, well, let me see something real quick. I'll, I'll show you. COVID Talk? My, I'm going to spotlight my video. Where the heck am I going? I don't even know how to spotlight my video on here. Add spotlight. Uh, oh, because Mark is still. Uh, I need to Am remove I? spotlight from you. That's it's my ah. bad. All right. So then, what I need to do is I need to remove my um, virtual background. Let me turn this off because I have my nightmare highway. Which, speaking of, by the way, what kind of virtual background do I have? I have. Uh, well, you guys can't hear it because I'm not screen sharing. Let me screen share real quick. Uh, there we go. The virtual background that I have is actually Nightmare Highway. All right. So how do you stop virtual backgrounds in this? None. There we go. All right. So I've got virtual backgrounds turned off. So if I can reach mine around. So my stream deck, oh, which is actually right here. Okay. Gosh, that's massive. Yeah. It's, it's so big compared to the normal one. Yeah, that's what she said. Um, and, yeah, it's just got a spit ton of buttons. It's got 32 buttons, and then every button could, like, go to a folder with more buttons. So if I want to have all my sound bites in one thing, I can make a folder for that. So it's kind of hard to see here because they're lit up and the camera's not doing it justice. But, you know, I've got the different buttons um, that I can press. And... Um, and, and switch scenes. So, like, you know, right now we're, we're, we're in a full screen. I can go back to my main screen real quick and go back to the full screen. So it's really cool. It makes, um, it makes uh, running the show a heck of a lot easier. So um, once Load I... your own icons. Yeah, yeah, you can program your own icons for everything. Um, so there's a lot of cool things you can do with the Stream Deck. And it's made running the show a heck of a lot easier because the more transitions and scenes and everything you add to OBS, the harder it is to look on where to click. And, you know, so now it's just literally, you know, run your show by pressing picture buttons. So Ease of uh, use. Ease of use. Yeah, really cool. And so I felt Mark definitely deserved one of those. And, um, you know, if we get more people who are doing more prominent streaming on a regular basis, we'll make sure they get the tools they need to run the show effectively and stuff, too. Um, so that's cool. Uh, who else had an update and or acquisition or story to tell? I know Brian Weezer did. Did anybody else? Is Brian our last one? Brian Weezer? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Okay, Brian Weezer, you have the floor. Okay, uh, I guess I've got a couple items here. Um, first of all, i got this uh, this cover. Um, I have a couple of them, though, but this is the... Uh, the color, oh, color computer oh, the tube. properly spelled dust cover. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's still <laughs> sealed, huh? Yep, yep, still sealed. I was kind of hoping that maybe it might actually say color computer on it, but you can kind of see through the wrapper here. It just just says Tandy, Tandy on it there. But uh, I guess it's more the uh, the packaging, I guess. Yeah. So, so those are uncommon. There. Those are uncommon to find dust covers in general. Yeah, they don't pop up very often. You're right. Um, another item I wanted to show, and I think, Stevie, I think you have one of these. I've been uh, looking for over a year, and one finally popped up. And surprisingly enough, it was not under Coco stuff. I don't know how I stumbled across it, but I did. 
but it's the uh, the Suncom. Oh yeah. But it's the uh, the Tandy One Thousand and the color computer version of it. Right, kind of like a flight stick. Yep. Yep. So the the analog edge there. So and this one here still has the uh, the original um, twisty tie on it and everything. I don't know ah. if it's ever been used or not. So it's a. Uh, and they got yeah. suction cups where you can smack it down onto the smooth surface for some you know hard hitting game action. You can really yank <laughs> yes, that does. stick around and hopefully yeah. not pull it off the table, right? So yeah, yeah actually, <laughs> when you throw your joystick across the room, the whole table goes with it, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it comes with both. Uh, it comes with the little suction cups and also just rubber feet, so you can kind of decide what uh, ah. kind of uh, what kind of feet that you want to have on it there. That's, that's uh, cool. And then um, a common book, though, but I've wanted to add it to my collection though yes uh, everybody's aware of this one here so i finally went ahead and, and got the uh the coco uh book there so that was kind of a nice one that's a, a good history book. boise pete and bill the judas you know but the, it, as good as it is i mean when i first got in the community like five years ago that was required readings and on my f- few trips to coco fest on the plane i would read it on the plane too just to re-familiarize myself with things and give me something <laughs> to do to keep me going but um as good as that is and as much history has gone on in there in the years since that book has been released, there is so much new history with you know all the new things going on in the Coco space, hardware and software wise. It really needs a volume too, um, you know the modern history of the color computer. So right, um, yeah, with all the the new stuff, exactly, yeah. that'd be good. Yeah, and then um, this one here for a little adult entertainment. There, uh, you gotta gotta Ooh. have your uh, leisure, Larry. Ah, stuff. now what platform is that for? Is that the Tandy or is that the Coco? Yeah, this is the Coco for the. Oh, uh, that's the Coco version. Okay. Wow, I had no idea they got a Coco release. Unbelievable. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so it has all, all the discs in there and everything. So and the uh, the pretty lady on the front. Not, not as big as King's Quest Three, which is five discs. Usually, I think. Five yeah. Two yeah, yeah, there were a handful of officially released Sierra games uh, boat, but there's a bunch more of the third party ones that were added, and they're all on the ease of use edition, right, Curtis? Yeah. All the Sierra games. Dozens. And then, oh, and then I. Again, another one I just kind of stumbled across um, was some uh, some mouse pads, but I thought these were kind of interesting. So this would be the ninth annual last Chicago Coco Fest 2000 wow. mouse pad. That was 20 years oh, ago because this year would have been the 29th annual. So, yeah. Yeah. and that then one of the uh, last ones I attended before my break. There you go. And then these next two, uh, Curtis is going to probably like Team OS9 mouse pad. All right. Yeah, that was John Strong's. Was it John Strong one? Okay. okay. That's the and losing team, by the way. The losing team? <laughs> yeah, Nitrostein's winning team. <laughs> and then this one just simply says, OS9, my OS. Oh. Uh, you know, there's going to be some haters that say, that's not my OS. That's <laughs> not my OS. <laughs> well, let me, let me tell them people why they're wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. So. And then just the generic mouse pad was in the pile, too. Oh, but, that's, uh, neat. that's neat. And then uh, lastly, and I was kind of... Uh, Nick Marentes didn't jo- rejoin us. Did he? Did he drop off? Is Nick Mer- Nick Marentes, you still here? Did he drop off? Crikey! Know, maybe Vegemite Wallaby. Are you here? He was probably in Vegemite oh. withdrawal and had to leave. Hmm. <laughs> well, maybe we can bring him back up again in another time and uh, when he's on the show. Um, but I got a copy of his uh, his book. Oh, the interview book. book. Yeah, that's a good one. Coconuts. Whoops. You guys saw, there it goes. My, my video was kind of freezing on me here. Can you see me? So it, yeah, it's a really kind of cool book. There's about, uh, let's see here. What do we have? Um, five, ten, what, looks like maybe 15 different authors or uh, programmers from the day. 
um, are in here. Any pictures? There yeah. are some pictures. Yeah, the um, screenshots of some of the programs they worked on, pictures of the people themselves. And yeah, no, Dale Lair is in that one, right? I'll yeah. show you. Rick uh, Adams. And Rick Adams. Uh, yep. Let's see. I don't know if this will come through here. But, uh, Mark Randall. There's a bunch of them in there. There's Rick Adams. Wow. Thank you. You're too kind. And thank you. Yes. It's even got his email address from what God knows what it was back then, right? Yeah, so. yeah, Delphi.com yeah. there. Uh, the, the nice thing about the interviews, too, is that they'll sometimes talk about unreleased projects that never got sold, too. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, let's see here. There's one here. I'm not sure. Um, is, it, is it under Kevin Darling here? Here's Kevin Darling. Yeah. Set the upgrade free, Kevin. And let's see here. Is it under his interview here? It has a interesting picture. Where'd it go? Oh, one second here. I just flipped past it here. I should have uh, bookmarked the page. Let's see here. This is under... Whose interview is this underneath here? Um, has that John, book been preserved? John, is it Kowalski? Kowalski, that's Sockmaster. Master. Yeah. Yep. And uh, under his interview there, it has a, a picture of the... Uh, Coco 4. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, with this uh, numeric keypad ad and stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of other authors in here that uh, that we're all probably uh, very familiar with. So, and uh, I wasn't sure if this was a copy or if this was an original. And I was messaging uh, Nick about it, and he said this was one of the originals because he actually bound these himself with the oh, uh, wow. coconuts, yeah. the, the green I've binder, and too. Yeah, that's the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got one of those with some autographs in it from people that were at the show that year that it came out. The, from Penfest oh, 2000. Wow, That'd be Name cool. dropper. Yeah. Yeah, I was there. I got, I, I got, there's a, there's a Nick Morenci's that signed it. I know that. Well, that, met that reduces the value of it. I'm sure my dad will take it out. Yeah, might as well line up the birdcage with it now. <laughs> right? That's cool. Yep, so, uh. That's all I got for you. I have I have heard of that book. I had never seen the actual physical copy of that book. I have seen a digital copy because I think uh, Nick had shared one with me where I could read it yeah. uh, electronically. So I had the digital I'd one seen... actually has color photos too, which the uh, uh, print okay. version does not. Yeah. So I just, so the uh, question is, is that on an archive? I don't know. That would be up for Nick to see if he wants to make that public. Yeah, that's true. I didn't. I yeah, I didn't realize the book was yeah. Yeah, but I'd like to just say at this point since you brought up uh, Rick Adams. His uh, wife is having some troubles at, uh, in the hospital, and um, we should probably, if you guys pray at all, yeah, we pray for Rick Adams, his wife, and uh, the family. Absolutely. Um, okay, does that complete everybody's, everybody's update? Have we fully updated ourselves? Are we have all the updates out? Have we let it all out? Yeah? Okay. Um, any parting thoughts? Anything we want to say with anything? Anyone? Yes, David Ladd. You might want to mention the GoFundMe for Alice as well. Okay. I don't know what the link to that is, but if you're following Rick Adams on Facebook, I believe that is posted because there, I didn't, I know he mentioned that one of their ICU visits was something like $98,000. So these bills are getting up there. And, oh and so, my um, God. Yeah. So, yeah, the cost of health care in America. We don't have the Canadian uh, thing going on like you guys have there with your Tim Hortons and everything. Um, we'll move here. 
Don't move here. Yeah. <laughs> so if there is one, I don't know if anybody knows what that link is, especially one of my moderators here. If you want to grab that and post that in the chat, by all means. It looks like Mark Overholzer, our man about town, is doing that. And speaking of the panel and, and the cast and the crew and everybody, it's probably worth mentioning again because I know everybody's name is mentioned in the credits. But how about we talk about more specifically what some of the people do? So I mentioned Mark Overholzer is mostly the guy who's posting in the chat, and then Jason is his backup. So uh, when Curtis prepares the news, and we have all these links of what we're talking about, we will post those links in the live chat for you guys to um, grab and pull up if you're interested and you want to take it more in-depth. We also post an archive of all those news links in Discord. There is a channel that's called News Summaries under our Cocoa Talk heading in Discord. So if you want to pull up a particular show, what the links were for that show... That's in Discord, and you can get those links. It's a generic text file. You can just open it up and look at it. And, and, and you know, well, on episode 88, you guys were talking about this thing. What was the link to that again? Well, it's probably in Discord. Um, and so thank you, Curtis, for doing that. Curtis is our news curator, and thank you, Mark, for posting those. We've had a few people mention, too, on news. And, and Curtis, I know you, you do a lot already, um, but I think one of the things that's happening now is that the pl- you're pulling news from a couple of specific places and there's news happening that we're not even talking about because news happens in so many places and one of the things that mr dave brought up was all the stuff that goes on in discord and and the truth is there's so much going on in discord that we could probably have a 24-hour streaming channel just to talk about what's going on in discord you know and so we've got hardware channels and software channels and and you know when when everybody got all goo goo for cassettes there's a freaking cassette channel in there so um there are so many channels in Discord, and and Mark Bosley's been one of the ones who he knows a lot about hardware, and he's helping out a lot of people answering questions to troubleshoot their Coco ones and Coco twos. So we've got a lot of people in right here in the panel and, and in Discord who have a lot of knowledge to share. And so we, um, I, I don't know if you can just uh, Curtis add that to your repertoire of places to I, mine. I have on occasion. Uh, yeah. The problem is that some of the stuff whips my stuff out. I know. So it's and harder to give a link out. I know. That's another problem, too. I, I agree with that. I know. Because people a, you, will put up like a video and I have to literally drag it onto my desktop, then load that into the browser. Yeah. And so, Discord, so. Um, and so one of the things that was pointed out, too, was it, there's a lot of things we talk about wanting to do and we try to do and sometimes we forget to do them. And part of the reason why is, is that there is not really any ownership on that. So right now, when it comes to ownership, we know that Nick Morota, he is going to handle the game on. That's his baby, and he works on that. He produces that segment. He takes care of all that segment. He does all the work to do that. Curtis handles the news. There's other things we could do, but we're in that situation what? where there's we got a lot of people who are possibly able to help with doing things, but nobody's really taking the point on it to own it, to deliver it. And so what I'd be looking for would be volunteers. Somebody saying, listen, I would like to become the ambassador of Discord and, and just give you guys a list of what happened in Discord that's probably worth talking about. And I'll just put it in a text file and send it to you. So you don't have to do it on air if you don't want to. But if you wanted to do it on air, you could too. But I'd be looking for people to say, I want to own a piece of something and be kind of responsible for doing this on a weekly or semi-weekly basis and just giving you guys this content so we can make sure these things get aired. Because the 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 terrible problem that we have is there's so many things going on in so many places it is almost impossible to capture it all and to report on it all and i know we're doing a reasonably good job but we're doing we could be doing a lot better job talking about things that are going on but it's so hard so i'd be looking for help in it's that fair. area 
you know, and, and there's an old saying, when you ask everybody to do something, nobody does anything, right? So just throwing out a general request for a call to action is not going to help. So we're looking for people to say, I'm going to step up, I'm going to take this job, I'm going to do this. And then if it's just compiling and gathering and then shooting it off to Curtis or to us, however you want to do that, I'm, I'm, I'm putting out that call for that help. So we can do a better job on servicing our community by telling them what's going on and, and giving kudos to those who are, are working behind the scenes, helping folks out and stuff. Um, it's funny because my, my wife just got done saying, what happened to the three-hour shows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What so, three-hour shows? <laughs> yeah, so so those discussions have been taking place. you know. And what I love about this is that most of the time when we're, when we're talking or chatting on Discord, us here on the panel, most of the stuff we're talking about is we're talking about the show. We are obsessed with what can we do to add value to the show? And that's mo- most of the time we're getting together, we're talking about this or the other, and then that just breaks into, oh, what about this or what about that? And Mr. Dave will jump on and say, hey, guys, here's this thing I'm noticing. So most of the time when we're on Discord, we're ended up talking about and thinking about things we can do to improve the show. So I wanted to thank everybody. I mentioned this to you guys in Discord, how I appreciate the commitment that everybody here has, but really it's, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. And, and I, f- I feel like I'm working with the dream team here. I have a lot of people who are passionate and committed and work hard and care a lot. And you guys make this show awesome. So I want to thank everybody who's here doing that. I want to thank everybody who watches and we get more awesomer with more help. So we're always want we're always inviting more people. If you have an idea, let us know. And not only give us an idea, but if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to take on a responsibility and, and, and take on a role that we can create a regular ongoing segment, we'd love to have that. So the open call for that, um, that's what I'll, that'll be my f- uh, final thoughts. Um, anybody else? Parting thoughts, final thoughts, words of wisdom. Just a quick one for me, a reminder, everybody, that if you're one of the people that uses and likes testing out Nitrous 9, the new bug release patch update version just got released today. So go download it free. And uh, Boat, remind everybody what your Twitch channel is again, too, and you guys are streaming tomorrow. Yeah, we're streaming tomorrow at 2 o'clock Eastern U.S. time. Uh, it's uh, twitch.tv slash Amigos Retro Gaming. Pegasus and the Phantom Riders on the Coco Show. Ooh. That's yeah. easy to remember because it's the same time as Coco Talk is on, on Saturday. So Yeah, that's right. Sunday, Coco. tune into the same Coco Talk time and uh, to Amigos uh, Retro Gaming. Do you guys last like four hours too? Unfortunately, we do not. We're about a half hour show. Well, they've done some charity marathons where they've literally gone like 24 hours. Though. Oh, so yeah. You guys have done <laughs> your fundraisers. Oh, we, do, we do a Megathon in the, in the summer, which, uh, which supports uh, Children's Miracle Network hospitals. And uh, that's a 24-hour marathon. But, uh, but, yeah, that's a once-a-year thing. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Boat, it's been great meeting you and having you part of this community. It's been great that we've been able to meet these people and bring people in and have all these synergies we've got, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know. Now I now that I know it's okay for me to join a little bit late, I hope to join you oh guys every week. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely it is. Yeah. yeah. If we have to bump David Ladd out to make room for you, we'll gladly do that. So. <laughs> I mean, if you notice there, Nick Rennie's bumped himself out to make room for you. As yeah, well, right? So. so, yeah. Uh, cool, 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 cool. All right. Anybody else have any parting thoughts, anything you want to say to the folks at home? Anyone? Anyone? Go, go I like Coco early. Coco early. Coco often. Thank you, Jason. Uh, Nick Morota. Go, go look at all the go look at all the Coco groups there are. True, Rondevo. Lots of Coco There's groups. A lot of stuff. Yeah, Nick Morota. Thank you for your words, Stevie. And I just want to say I really enjoy the show. It's it's been, it's it's a real highlight of uh, my week uh, ever since we've uh, 
I, I've ever since uh, I've joined the show. It's been really fun. Glad to have you. A really yeah. pillar. You're a great addition of, to the show. So yeah. He's also our fashion guru for those of you. Yeah, and our and our uh, the guy who makes us all jealous with his dreamy hair. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's gonna get longer over the winter. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and play the outro, and then you guys have another minute and a half to two to think about any final final thoughts, and then we'll press the button. We'll end this train wreck. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, visit the Patreon link on our site, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, D. Bruce Moore, Nick Morentes, Ron Delvaux, Rick Adams, Jason Reichert, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Reichert, Danny O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Steggy, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Alan Murphy, Rick Ewan, Grant Leedy, Samuel Gimes, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and to James Diffendaffer for making my head explode. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its sponsors. A list of various resources and contributors are available on our website at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever! Allegedly, yes. All right, so in now. Opinion, in my opinion. Yes, so final, final, final thoughts. Who has not said their piece or had their piece? Mark Bosley, anything from you? No, I'm good. All right, all right, good. I don't want to beat the dead horse here. Okay, so are we ready to press the button then? Yes, yes, yes Mark. Hold on, hold on. Mark Overholzer has something to say, everybody. Shh, shh, shh. I was just going to say that we're approaching the end of our fourth year of Coco Talk. Uh, it was uh, March. Nineteenth of March. Nineteenth of March will be four years, and we're just a couple episodes away from episode two hundred too, which is uh, a landmark yeah. within itself. Not that that episode will be any better than any other episode, but at least we'll have a cool, nice centennial number to attach to it. Number. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So we got that well, going for us. On, if we're coming up on four years, doesn't it mean it's almost time for the next Coco Olympics? Yeah, uh, yes, it is. That's exactly. right. That's right. As soon as the uh, travel embargo is lifted, we can all go to Seoul, Korea, and uh, celebrate. Uh, <laughs> excellent. Okay. Anything else? Anyone? Anyone? If not, say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.